Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. I'm your host, Brian Vitale, and joining me today are George Foster. Hello, everyone. Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. And James Galizio. Hey. It is a Sunday, June 14th, as we record this podcast, which is a day after our normal record date, which is midday on Saturdays, uh, mainly because... What we thought we were going to get last week, we ended up getting yesterday in kind of a deluge of news from the IGN Summer of Gaming event, the PC Gaming Show, Games Radar, Future Games Show, and then, of course, throughout the week, we had the uh, PS5 gameplay showcase reveal and a whole bunch of news that is basically the first major, yeah, the first major kind of period of the substitute E3 time whatever wobbly weird whatever you want to end up calling this period of time that we're in right now so we have a whole bunch to talk about a bunch of uh general gaming news a bunch of rpg specific news uh a couple surprise announcements uh so this podcast will be a little bit inverted from our normal uh kind of our normal flow of things we will still talk about what games we've been playing but obviously we're going to try to like mortgage more time for the back half of the show to talk about all the various announcements and we'll try to introduce them kind of in the order roughly that they that they came up so we'll start early in the week with some of the general news into the playstation 5 announcement into a bunch of the weekend news uh, including the gorilla collective stream which is uh indie reveals which are still going on so this one might feel a little bit different, uh, but we, there's a whole bunch of cool, I think, discussion to have based on everything that we've seen over the last seven days. But like I said, we're going to do a little bit of a, uh, the standard format at the start to talk about what we've been playing, even though it might be a bit abbreviated. Uh, so I guess uh, we'll just start with James here. Uh, you have two games listed that you've played over the last seven days. I, I'll let you pick which one you want to talk about first. Um, sure. So actually... It, it's a bit weird. It feels like it's been a bit of a blast of the um, blast of the past with the games I've been playing the last couple of days. Um, so I finally got back to playing East Origin and finishing up the last two Nightmare playthroughs, uh, the ones for Hugo and Toll that I still needed to complete in order to fully finish East Origin because I had that in like my backlog blitz list for a site that I, um, that I'm like community I'm part of and. Uh, so yeah, um, I've always been a huge fan of the East games that run on the East 6 engine. I feel like those are probably, they've worked really well as an extension of some of the ideas behind the gameplay flow in East 1 and 2, though obviously the actual combat is incredibly different considering like East 1 and 2 had the bump system and um Ophenfelgana, Markham to Pishtum, and East Origin obviously are very much um, focused on uh, top-down, uh, almost like a Zelda, like a hyperactive Zelda with how quickly you're attacking and jumping and running and all that sort of thing. Um, not much to say about it because I mean, it's East Origin. I f- well, I guess not everyone's played East Origin, but if you're familiar with the East series and you've like started playing it on PC, I feel like there's a pretty good chance that the ver- the first East game you played was East Origin. So people who aren't familiar, East is kind of like, the, you might disagree with this comparison, but it's kind of like Fire Emblem where there's like a modern East and a classic East. 
uh, where the modern one is like this party-based, more traditionally uh, formed action JRPG, where the classic East is still an action RPG, but it's more dungeon crawly, more arcadey. And depending on who you ask, it, the, the answers will vary. But the consensus generally is, is that East Origin and maybe East Ogunthalgana are kind of like the pinnacle of classic East. I don't know if you agree with that 100%, but go ahead. I feel like the uh, Nepishtim Engine trilogy all have their own unique strengths and weaknesses. I would agree that from a classical East standpoint, maybe Ogunthalgana is the best balanced. But I feel like from a gameplay standpoint, obviously East Origin's going to be one of the best. The boss fights are great. Um, Arkham Epishtim, while it does have its flaws, I think I enjoy it more in some ways, specifically because it feels like there's much more exploration. And that's not something you really get in East Origin, and it's not something you really get in Ophenfelgana. Because while, while Ophenfelgana is a bit a larger world it's deceptively linear which is yeah but yeah they're yeah. all they're all great games i'd say they're all worth playing um east origin clearly is one that you can easily start with <laughs> easily um especially since it kind of acts as a prologue for east one and two though i'd actually recommend playing east one and two before east origin if you can because I feel like you yeah, get more. Yeah, it's kind of, it's the sort of it's the sort of prequel where it's intended, and this is how most prequels are, where it's intended and expected that you know what it's leading into. It's deliberately told in that fashion. Uh, I think very few games make a prequel that it's intended to be played first. The only one I can really think of off the top of my head is like Yakuza Zero. And even that but, one's uh, debatable. Yeah. Right, even that one's kind of like half one way, half the other. Uh, East Origin was actually my first East game. I think it was like one of those classic like Steam sales in like the early 2010s where it was like five bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I've heard a lot of good things about this. I'll try it. I won't say I loved it, but I liked it a lot. I liked how kind of pared down it is where it just kind of like cuts the trims the fat and it's just kind of hyper focused on the combat, on the progression alongside with a with a really nice kind of a simply told but really nice story attached to it. Um, obviously I did play it without having played the original game. So I kind of did the, I did the backwards thing. Like I just said, you shouldn't do, but I did it. I did then eventually play like East one and two Chronicles. Um, so I did, I did eventually get the full picture though in the inverted order. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting talking about East because I, I definitely feel like a significant portion of, uh, East's popularity in the West stems from the fact that XE took a gamble and basically for the longest time, like East was one of the only Japanese game series on Steam. Like there was like a period of like several years where the only Japanese releases that you'd find on the storefront were Falcom games and records of Agress were, I think. And then like, finally we, we started seeing companies like, like, start um, porting their games over but it's and, and like god they were leading it's the weird church. yeah it's weird because it feels like it wasn't that long ago but man that was like 2013 or something where we finally started seeing more japanese games come to scene and i think most of it you could probably point to like the success of dark souls kind of leading the charge there but um 
Yeah, well, that's like the, the big, the big, yeah, the big major kind of foundation shaking releases that started saying yes, Japanese games can have a place on Steam. Uh, like you said, Dark Souls, and then uh, was it was like a year or two after release, that's right, Final Chronicles. Third, yeah, Valkyria Chronicles. Um, Final Fantasy Thirteen had a big splash uh, when it was it was the first Final Fantasy game on Steam, if I remember right, which then followed with Square Enix very strongly supporting the platform with a few omissions. Uh, and then uh, topically, we've got Atlas showing up on Steam, which we might talk about a little bit later. Hint, hint. Yeah. But yeah, Yeast was kind of leading the way, and Falcom's like been in the business for decades and decades, so. And East is kind of what put them on the map. Uh, the thing about the classic East games that you mentioned that I think really works well in their favor is that they are very much pick up and play, which is actually not the case for a lot of Japanese RPGs. A lot of Japanese RPGs have like a, a, a slow burn buildup or for bo- both as a story and like mechanically, it takes a while for like all the systems to get introduced piecemeal at a time, you know, and eventually several hours into the game, you kind of start to get into a rhythm. Whereas the classic East games, like East Origin, like in 10 minutes, you are moving around. Like you, you, you have the controls down, you're, you're playing through the game and you're, you're into it. And yes, there are progression systems in the game, but it's very much pick up and play. And so they have a very low barrier of entry. So even if you're not like a Japanese RPG fan, and maybe those slow burn beginnings is one reason why, I think the, the classic East games sort of avoid that issue, which is cool. I definitely agree with that. Um, so on the other end of the spectrum, the other game I've been playing this week, and it was kind of something I wasn't really anticipating getting back to so quickly. Uh, so so how many of you have played Patapon? You know, that uh, rhythm, like... RPG that Sony published on the, well, the series that Sony published on the PSP? I know I of Patapon from PlayStation All-Stars and Greg Miller, but it's not something I've ever dived into. Yeah, so um, when I was younger, like in middle school, I was a huge Patapon fan. I played the first one and the second one, but I never finished the third one because it was like a huge like departure from some of the gameplay loop and the mechanics and well not really necessarily the mechanics but definitely the gameplay loop and the game style from the first two so for whatever reason i just like charged up my psp go this this week and i picked it up and i just for the hell of it i decided to start up pat upon three and i'd gotten way further into the game than i remembered so I decided, well, I'm actually pretty far in. I might as well finally finish this thing. And it's like, my save was labeled 2011. It's like, oh gosh, it's been almost nine years since I played this. Um, but yeah, uh, so Patapon is a series that people aren't really familiar because it has been a while and it was only on PSP, which did, it did well, but not everyone had one. Um so it is an RPG in the sense that you have progression for your little uh, Patapon units. You can get different equipment. They can level up. You um, In Patapon 3 specifically, they even get their own unique class skills and stuff like that. Um, Patapon 3 is pretty different from the rest of the series. So in the first two games, you were leading armies, and you basically have like... Uh, 
three sets of units that you could uh, um, that you could set for your party, and each unit would be made up of multiple of one type or one class of pad upon. And in the second game, they added in this thing called the Hero Pawn, which is this super-powered unit that if you do perfect um, inputs, which I'll get to that in a moment, he, they would be able to do spe- um, special super-powerful attacks or super-powerful like defense, depending on their class that you gave them. And it kind of just expanded upon the idea, like the ideas made, like introduced in the first game. Well, Pat Upon 3, instead of building up upon the ideas in the first and second game, it's more of a Monster Hunter slash, like, co-op RPG progression, where instead of having an army, you have only four Pat Upons, and the game wasn't, like, intrinsically designed around four-player co-op, either locally or online. So instead of having your full army, you instead have a suit, an uber hero Patapon, which is your main guy, and you can obviously queue up with other people to do missions, or you can just go into the single player with your uber hero and like three other Patapons are generally stronger than like each specific unit would have been in the first two games, but they're still like a little bit weaker, so the game's kind of balanced around, oh yeah, you can play it single-player, but there's some missions where you really want to do multiplayer, which uh, apparently, when I was looking up like a walkthrough to see just how far into the game I was, people still play this game. I'm not sure if the actual online servers are still online, but stuff like Ad Hoc Party and like similar um, sorts of apps on PC let you still like kind of spoof internet like a, a an online co-op session so I, I guess i'm not too shocked that people still play it but yeah it's pretty different um the main thing about pat upon's gameplay is that first and foremost it's a rhythm game and at the corners of the screen there's like a tempo going on and you actually can see it like visually and you want to time button inputs to make certain combos of notes in order to actually input your command. So it's pretty slow paced, but you have stuff like if you want to move your uh, army forward and march forward, you have to basically time the square button three times and then the circle button once. So it's like pata, 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 pong. So they move forward and you wait for that for the action to finish. Then you do the next action and it's almost turn based in a way because the game's designed where even though you're beholden to the rhythm, if you're not, if you're uh, focusing on the tells for specific enemies and whatnot, generally you won't have to worry about um, reacting in time, despite the rhythm and like the fact that you're beholden to it. Um, I will say I've been enjoying it a lot more now. I think maybe it was just I was so used to the first two games when I first started playing Pat Upon Three, like back in middle school or whatnot. So I just never really um, got into the groove of things. But now, like, separated by, like, literally, like, half my life and getting back to it, I've been enjoying it a lot more. Though I will say that there are some gameplay systems and some design quirks I'm not really a fan of. Like, uh, I don't remember in the first two games whether there was such a big emphasis on dealing with status ailments. 
So one of the new commands for Patapon 3 is this party command where it's like, you use it and it lets you shrug off any status ailments. Like if you're Patapon or asleep, it'll wake them up. If they're on fire, it'll put it out. If they're in ice, it'll thaw them out, all that sorts of stuff. The thing is, is that the status ailments in 1 and 2 were usually debuffs caused by boss monsters that you, you were sp you're supposed to react to. And you would be punished harshly if you didn't, but it was fair because because of the way the um, whole rhythm system works and the way that it telegraphs it, you always should be able to react in time. The problem with Patapon 3 is, is that it uses status ailments a lot. Like, both uh, your party members can deal with them out and also certain enemies can deal with them. The problem is, is that for stuff like fire or for stuff like putting your Patapon to sleep, it's... So, it's RNG. Let's just put it that way. So, since you have much more of a focus on party composition with the equipment and whatnot, and, like, builds and stuff like that, um, there's some equipment that will increase your burn resistance, for example. And the problem is, is that you can only ever get your burn resistance to, like, 70%. You can't fully, like, make sure that you won't get burnt. But even if you have, like, tons of stuff that's specifically supposed to prevent you from getting burned there's always a chance that while you're in the middle of a fight like right when you're in the middle of an input all of your pad upon get burned they're running around and it's like you're putting in an input to avoid an attack but now you need to do the input to put the fire out and by the time you do that they're all going to get hit by something and your entire party is going to die all because of rng nothing that you did wrong and that's been really annoying me <laughs> So I've never played Patapon, but on the periphery, I always kind of thought of it as just a rhythm game. But hearing you describe it as like status ailments and party members and equipment, you're like almost in a, describing just like a pure RPG there. I guess that's it is not, an RPG. I had the wrong. I guess I just had the wrong impression of the game. When I think of Patapon, having not thought about it for a decade plus, I think of like little like silhouettes of characters marching. I forget if it's left to right or right to left and you like press buttons to have them like throw spears or jump or whatever. But I, I thought it was kind of more like an arcade game and less of an RPG. Well, I almost still very... pull up... Yeah. I almost want to pull up just some videos on it and just kind of like more properly educate myself of what the game this was. Yeah. yeah I have even, no idea. Yeah, even from the very beginning, it was very much progression based like, in the first game, it was all about upgrading equipment and that sort of thing. And, like, um, in the second game, it became much more easy to upgrade. And there was, like, like branching paths to upgrading your actual Patapon units themselves. Because um, what you can do is you can use, like, materials and whatnot to actually kind of change the base appearance of a Patapon. It doesn't change your class, per se, and this is in two, but it actually gives them specific, like, um, changes to their base stats. Like, and they'll actually look completely different. Like, there's one pad upon that looks like almost like a penguin. It's weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's very much an RPG series, and it's interesting. And I guess it, it's did not it just, super did it surprising. Did just the three games? Yeah, just the three games on PSP. I mean, they were, it was a pretty big series on the PSP. I know that it was very popular on the system. I guess it's not surprising that people have kind of forgotten about it because it was only on the PSP. 
it's like the first two games got remasters on the PS4. Like the second one just recently finally got it after being announced however long ago. But I mean, when Patapon 3 came out almost 10 years ago, and we just haven't seen anything else besides remasters from the series since, it makes sense that people really don't know too much about it nowadays. Yeah, as an aside, you've mentioned how you were going back to this game after like years and years away. I was trying to think to myself, what was the game save or whatever that I came back to after years away? And I, I'm not sure I can really think of one, but the closest I think is um, when I was really young. This is kind of a tangent, but when I was really young, I tried playing Digimon World 2 on the PlayStation 1 but I was too dumb to understand how it works. And to be fair, a lot of the way that game works don't really make intuitive sense. Uh, so it's, it's a Digimon game and you DNA Digivolve to try to make your, your units stronger. But when you do that, they go back a level. Like they, they go from champions to rookies. They like devolve, but their their max level increases. So basically you have to do that to like increase your, your total capability. And I was too stupid to understood how understand how that worked when I was like I don't know ten years old, and I think I ended up going back to the game like six years later once I understood how the game worked. So that was, that, that's my example of going back to a game save from like years and years ago that I never finished. I don't know the if you've got a thing similar about, one, George or well, Adam. The, fu- the funny thing about Digimon World Two, I remember that, um, but like. At the time, basically, Digimon World 2 is a roguelike in very many ways, um, in the way that you kind of reset your level through DNA to Devolve, but also just the dungeons. And like back when you're 10 years old, you have no idea what a roguelike is. That sort of structure doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just kind of funny thinking back on it now, like, oh, that was a roguelike the whole time, and I had no idea. Uh, or, or Dungeon Crawler. It was like a hybrid of the two. My example is well, actually I guess it... pretty relevant. Uh, so after the PS5 announcement showed the sequel to Horizon, I was like, so I've badmouthed it on the podcast before. Well, not, not strictly badmouthed, but I've said that I don't enjoy it as much as everyone else does. Um, but I decided to go back and finish Horizon because I started it when it came out, which is now three years ago. I got a bit into it and I just never really finished it. I never really found like the will to see the story to the end and then after the announcement of the sequel, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go back, finish that. I can't be like can't be that far from the end. And as it turns out, I was literally like four or five missions from finishing it when I when I dropped it. So I've I've not had much like I've had maybe four or five hours of gameplay of it. But that last that last section and I guess finally finishing the game kinda of gave me a better perspective of it. And I think I might have been wrong about Horizon this whole time, like it's actually a lot better than I gave it credit for. And I kind of figured out why. Uh, so when Horizon launched, Breath of the Wild launched. And Breath of the Wild, I, I've been, I said it on record before, it's probably one of the best games I've ever played. Like, it's not perfect, but in my eyes, there's just something about it that no game can really match the sense of exploration. So going from that to Horizon, which is still a really good game, but just like nowhere near as good in my eyes and hearing everyone else say oh horizon's like the best the best ps4 game ever you gotta you gotta finish it you'll love it kind of it was bigged up too much for me so i just i I never saw it through to the end and yeah that now i've finally done that was it hard to go back to like 
sometimes you try to boot those up and you're like, I'm a dumbass. I don't know how to play this anymore or whatever. It was sort of harder following the story because it was just around the bit where like all of the big twists are revealed. And I was, and I was there like, yeah, I think I know what this means. Like, I'm pretty sure I follow, but from being on the internet, it's, you kind of just learn everything anyway. Yeah, yeah. So none of it was really a twist, but I still don't really like Aloy's character that much. Like, I don't know if it's just the performance, but I, I don't see her as like a really compelling character. Like, the world itself is fantastic. Like, see, it, like all the all the machines, just the like the nature coming back. That is fantastic. I love exploring the world. But then they're trying to do these big like character moments. And there's only I can only think of a few where she's actually shines, and I'm like, oh, Aloy's cool, but people saying that she's the best PlayStation protagonist, like again, again, it just seems like there's a lot of hyperbole surrounding the game. Like, I would I would probably give it I don't like just randomly reviewing the game, but I'd probably give it like a seven or an eight, and it seems like people are happy to give it like a ten, and I just, I guess I just don't see that. I think it was kind of this generation's first big open world showcase. It was kind of like a high watermark for a long time in terms of visuals. As for um, Alloy's character, uh, I haven't played the game. I'm planning to play it when it comes to PC, which is hopefully soonish, I think. Uh, but I never hear anyone say that they that they hate her or they don't like her at all. It's more like some people say she's wonderful and great. Or some people say that she's like she's kind of like dull and boring. So it's like only half so, the spectrum of possibilities. That's uh, just hearsay. But sorry, I'm just saying that's that's what I've heard, and I'm I'm eager to experience for myself and see what my own opinion is. Go ahead. It, it, there's a fine line, I guess, between like an, a common criticism of Aloy is that she's like a Mary Sue, and I think that's maybe simplifying it too much. And if you if you're not aware, Mary Sue is basically a character who is kind of written to be perfect. And like an, like an author's like insert, like this is my ideal person without any flaws. And I, I sort of get it because she doesn't really have like a big obvious flaw, but she is a very like confident, competent female protagonist. And that alone, I think, is just refreshing on its own because you yeah. don't really see that a lot. Um, but does that... Does she have anything like inherently that makes her like interesting on a maybe deeper level in a way? And it's been a while since I played, so I'm I'm kind of racing my memory here, and maybe that's maybe that speaks for itself. Trying to think about like what stuck, what sticks out for her to me. Like I think she's a pretty good character, but I wouldn't call her like fantastic. But I, I don't want to just say she's a Mary Sue either, because I think that's that's diluting it too much. But I, I think she has potential, and maybe yeah. we'll do something more with her. I um, uh, there was this yeah, bit. Go no, ahead. I had nothing more to say. I'm just kind of <sighs> rambling. There, there's this bit towards the end where it actually had me going. Oh man, maybe I've just like maybe I've forgotten most of her character development. But I, I didn't think I had. But they sort of like her original tribe try like worshiping her after they find out who she really is, which. I'm not going to say, even though it's like three years old, but and she she kind of turns around and says, "No, like you can't you can't kick me out and shun me and then worship me when you find out who I really am. Like that's not how it works. Like I'm not here to do this for you. I'm here to do it for the world." 
And I was like, that's actually pretty cool. Like, I like the idea. We discussed it last week, but I like the idea of her just kind of turning around and saying, you know, don't just worship me because I'm the main character. Like, you, you guys shun me. You, you have to stick to that. So she did, like, she's not just one-dimensional hero girl. She does, she does have more to her, but it's just that wasn't what kept me around, I guess. I'm eager to play this. Oh, it's a fan. Yeah, it is. It is really good. When you when you get to grips with it, it's really good. Like the, the human fights are kind of meh, but any fight against a robot is just really cool inherently. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on this, and we'll probably talk about it more when we mention the sequel in our later section. But like, I think Horizon has really great combat if you stick to the range based, bow and arrow based, trap based, like skills and techniques versus like the larger monsters. And that's clearly like where the game was designed and really focused around. And I think that's really cool. But if you try to like play it like a melee game, like, I don't know, like an Assassin's Creed or a God of War or something, it's the melee combat is not really good. You can, you can do some like stealth attacks and sneak attacks from melee, which work well, but otherwise like do not do melee combat. And a lot of times, a lot of the human combat sort of turns into that, which I think is one reason why it just doesn't sit very well. I'm I'm interested to see how they maybe adjust that for the sequel because it is a weak point. Uh, can you do like traps on humans? Like why yeah. can't you can, but they're a lot smaller, so they're a lot less likely to run into uh, them. <laughs> they're smaller see, uh, and slower, so <laughs> it it does it definitely does have like a a cool visual identity like those. Those robots, those like having not even played the game, if someone shows me like a creature and doesn't tell me where it's from, it's pretty. It's got a very stark visual design where it's like, oh, that looks like one of those. I don't know what what their what their title is in the game. I'm like, oh, that's one of those robots from Horizon Zero Dawn. I can call that out usually without even having played it. So I think that's one mm. place where the game is has landed really well. It's got a really strong visual identity. And maybe in a podcast within a month or two, I'll be talking about my uh, impressions of the PC version. I'll say more about like th- this when we get onto the sequel bit, but if you consider Uncharted 1 to Uncharted 2, then Horizon 1 to Horizon 2 is a very exciting possibility. Yeah, that's always kind of the... Uh, whenever a, an IP is getting its first sequel... It's like, is this going to be the the game's Assassin's Creed 2 moment or the Uncharted 2 moment? And sometimes yeah. it is. Uh, like uh, Batman Arkham City, some people would say was is like that as well. But then sometimes it isn't. Like uh, like Shadow of War, the, the Mordor game. Oh, God, <laughs> so, don't remind me of that. It was not a terrible game, but it's just it, it didn't elevate in the same way that you kind of hope that first IP sequel does. So we'll, we'll be, it'll be curious to see if, if Horizon lands on the better half of that of that divide. As for what I've been playing last week, um, I won't talk about this too much because we've talked about it the last two weeks, but I finished up uh, Xenoblade Definitive Edition and the future connected uh, content. And talking about like female protagonists, uh, Melia is basically the protagonist of Future Connected. And I believe, if I remember right, when you start that epilogue off, when your party is set up, you, you, it puts you in Melia's shoes. It, it treats her like, you know, player character one. Um, obviously, you can switch to Shulk or the other two, Nopon, if you want. But it treats it like this is Melia's story. Um, 
I believe Adam talked about this when he had uh, had the game early access to write some guides on it and, and about Future Connected. But so Future Connected, without spoiling, I'm, I'm only going to talk about the premise and not spoil like the outcome. It is not this meta-universe connection between Xenoblade 1 and the rest of the series. It just isn't. It's more just an expansion of the some of the storyline threads involving the Hyentia and Melia for another, like, five to eight hours. So it's kind of low-key. It's kind of, you know, that, that smaller focus, but I think it actually works pretty well. I'm not the person that kind of absolutely needs, like, you must show me how these games are connected. Like, uh, you know what, the, the games, the, the that's already kind of been established. I don't need to see more of that. Um, and then Mel- Melia, in a lot of ways, did kind of get the shaft in terms of uh, what her where her character ended up. She ends up in a place where it felt like her story wasn't resolved, not completely. So Future Connected, I think, is kind of in a perfect place to have kind of rectified that issue and the only thing i don't quite like and this is almost kind of in that mary sue territory a little bit is that uh a a big focus point on the hyantia throughout the base game and the epilogue is whether or not you are pure blood or or whether or not you are mixed blood in terms of are you pure hyantia or do you have hom's blood in you and then in the epilogue there's also talk about melia being the successor to the imperial line and that she has imperial blood and the the one thing that was kind of weird about it is they said like you are you know you are the emperor's daughter you must lead us and she never really questions it she never asks herself do i want to lead you do i have to lead you and by you i mean the her race it's it's not a big deal. It's just, it was just kind of weird that she never had any any moment of like self reflection on in terms of what she wants out of life. I guess you can just assume well she wants to she wants to lead her people, so of course she goes along with it. But it just kind of kind of it kind of butts up against some of the themes of the game about like setting your own destiny and uh, deciding the future for yourself. But instead, she kind of just goes. She ends up where her birth kind of decided she should end up, and that's as empress. I think, like the the thing is, is like the even though the kingdom of Alchemoth is like a kingdom with a bloodline ruler, the people did seem to like accept, like they liked the emperor, and people did seem to like Melia. Like some people did. There were some people who were upset about like the non pure blood thing. So like people wanted her to lead, and because they liked her. <laughs> Um, and I guess it wasn't like, it's not like a tyranny or anything like that. So it doesn't really have like that element to things. I guess you just sort of make the assumption that that's also what she wants. She never, she never like says that out loud, but yeah, it's sort of one of those unstated things. So you can kind of, you kind of just have to question it or assume it. One on, on a more like nuts and bolts level. Future Connected for me did kind of feel a little bit slapdash in a, in a few ways. Like it felt almost like I could see the seams of how this was made. First of all, it uses a whole lot of canned animations. Even like in the introductory scenes, you see a lot of the characters kind of standing in a circle, just using their general like touch their face, brush their hair, like nothing bespokely made for the scenes. Later in some of the combat, you do get like some actually like animated scenes, but 
early on you don't and then a lot of the music tracks are borrowed a lot of the like their their english voice lines won't match what the subtitles say and then when you get the two other characters they just have move sets borrowed pretty much from characters in the main game uh nene is basically just a ryan substitute and kino is basically just a charlotte substitute which is fine you can understand like okay they didn't want to make bespoke move sets for both of those but just when in conjunction with everything else that they also kind of borrowed, I was just kind of like, okay, that's just another, you know, another thing to note. So I'm not judging it too harshly. It's just that I guess it could have been more. It could have been like, wow, they really went the distance on this. But they kind of just went the, the I don't want to say the minimum, but the kind of like the expected standard. They didn't go above and beyond, I guess. They did the expected and it also just ran worse. Like I, I noticed a lot more frame rate issues in the future connected game than in the base game, which I thought ran relatively well most of the time. So just even just on a on a basic impressions like that, I was not really that impressed. But I did like how it ended. But I, I it felt appropriate. I liked it when the uh, when the final credits music started to play. I was I was you know I was content with where they went. And how it ended up so it was a nice little addition i guess it didn't overhaul my feelings on the game it didn't really like make me more or less excited for the series as a whole it was just kind of it was just a nice experience i guess just at a very base level i mentioned in a previous podcast i just i felt like the sort of thing that it was almost kind of surprising that the original game didn't really conclude this storyline because this sort of thing felt like it's something that could have very easily been told or addressed in the original game, but it just never was. So I kind of appreciate it for that fact, 10 years after the fact, that they're just like, you know what, we should tell this story and we should kind of wrap it up here. It wasn't like they didn't have to. We could we could have before this release just assumed what happened or, you know, um, like speculate or just leave it to our imagination or whatever. But I, I think... Be, they did the fact that they did decide to like kind of compose this loop here and it didn't do anything like outrageously dumb, like some stupid world cannon bending connection or whatever. It was just nice to see it. Yeah. Sometimes I see like before this game came out, I was looking at some of like the Xenoblade wiki, like comments or whatever. Like what if Shulk meets Rex on the shoulder or things like that? And my priorities must just be in a different place. Cause like, I don't, I don't really crave that level of interconnectedness. You, you show me a few common themes, and obviously there is a, a kind of a major cutscene that sets up the premise of both worlds in Xenoblade 1 and 2 that is kind of like their big crossover point. And for me, that was plenty enough. Like, I don't need to be like, oh, here is where the two worlds like actually intersect. And like, I just don't, that's not something Ironic. that's compelling to me. Go ahead. Ironically enough, pretty much everyone I know that's, well, at least most of the people I know that are Xenoblade fans, this distinctly did not want future connected to connect one and two i don't know maybe it's just, just the just... bubble i live in but yeah yeah we're all we're all like kind of obviously uh our, our mindset is shaped based on you know the company we keep but i think i think there is a subset of fan and i'm not judging them positively or negatively that really kind of craves that interconnectedness of ip and you kind of see that with sorry for the making the obvious jump here but with like the marvel universe uh, where they, they value inherently having 
components of the storyline connect in a very easily identifiable and diagrammable almost way where something happens first and second and it connects to this story in this way at this point here. And to me, I kind of more enjoy looser kind of thematic connections or where they kind of just glean like at the point at where these two, I don't know, narratives are are parallel to each other at this place. Like I don't need it to be more specifically detailed than that. And I think Xenoblade one and two kind of land perfectly at that point. Um, obviously, I, I can't comment on X. I know our cross. You've obviously spoken about that at length the last couple of weeks, but it's in that same place where it's kind of doesn't and doesn't directly tie into anything we've seen in the other games. And you do wonder, like, if they're going to follow up on this series, which I think we all intend plan. We all think that they intend to do. To what are they going to keep that level of thematic connection, or are they going to go harder in making them more deliberately? you know, webbed together. I hope it's more the first thing and less the second thing, but we'll see. Okay, um, unless anyone has any other comments, I think that pretty much covers us for uh, what we've been playing this week. I guess we'll start here where uh, Adam, I guess one thing that you've been playing up for the last couple of weeks that you haven't been able to speak about is a certain PC port that was announced just yesterday. So... What are your thoughts on Persona 4 Golden's surprise, somewhat, Steam release? Yeah, so I think I'm trying to think what what exactly I'm allowed to say. But Sega re- reached out to basically press and various freelancers and whatever a couple of weeks ago, basically saying, hey, we have a game that we are going to be announcing for PC soon. And are you interested in covering that? And we didn't at that. They didn't say what it was at the time, and they, they and they said it was an Atlas game, and that alone is interesting because Atlas and PC don't really mix. Um, there's Catherine on Steam, and I, that's pretty much like the only Atlas game, modern Atlas game that's been on PC in the last many years. So, so kind of your my imagination kind of started running wild there. It's like what Atlas game could possibly go on Steam? And then I accepted, of course, like, sure, you know, if it's an RPG, we want to we want to talk about it. And then they revealed under basically a non-disclosure that it's Persona 4 Golden. And it was just kind of like one of those things you never really thought you would see or maybe oh. not right now. So, oh, what? <laughs> Are you just making my uh, reaction, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Our reaction. Sorry. Yeah. Like when I when I saw that and I was just like, oh, wow, this is happening. Um, okay. And I booted it up and, you know, Persona 4 is a PlayStation 2 game. Then it was brought to PS2 or PS Vita. And so it's like, it's not visually a tremendously like good looking game in terms of that. Cause it's, you know, several generations old, but seeing the game on PC running it at 4k resolutions and having it run at like hundred frames per second compared to like your, your PS2 or Vita experience with it. I'll just like, it, it kind of like, it kind of like, if your brain feels weird when you see that running in 60 frames per second for the first time, like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't know this game could look like this. Um, and it, the port is generally really well done. You know, it is a Vita game or a PS2 game at heart. So, for example, like the character models in Persona 4 are a little bit little bit stylized. They're not exactly proportioned like real humans. So seeing that 
at 4K. With, you know, this, they have slightly bigger heads than you would maybe expect. It maybe takes just a tad getting used to seeing that at such high resolutions, um, part of the style. But you get used to it. Um, it runs really, really smoothly in animation in in the battles. Even things like seeing Chie kind of bounce around on her feet, or even Yosuke. He does his little flip that he does when he when he summons his persona. Just seeing that running at high frame rates, it just looks really, really nice. Um, the port kind of went out of its way to do the things it didn't really need to do. Um, first of all, it has Japanese audio, which, you know, some people, that's a really cool thing to have in a Japanese RPG, especially one that's literally set in Japan, that you can have that experience now. And it also... Um, what do I want to talk about? It has. It has. So who, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, who here has played Persona Four Base or Golden? I have played Golden. It's actually the only Persona game I have played. I played. I Golden. would love to, but I can't. Well, George, um, your laptop's a Mac, right, or something like that? It's a Chromebook. <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> considering how old the game is, if you got Wine set up on your uh, Chromebook, you'd probably be able to play it. Because, like, I'm seeing reports that the game does work under Wine. So you could probably play it on your laptop. I'm like, uh, the, the thing is with that is that I do like, like Persona 5, for instance, I did really like, but I it's not a game I love. So I'm not really like in a rush to like play it in the worst possible way. So it, for example, if I set it up on the Chromebook and it was like 20 frames a second, took ages to load i'd rather just wait until like i can play it better and that's fair so yeah so i guess the uh yeah the topic that george is breaching here is kind of this weird omission of this being kind of a historically sony series i know that's not 100 true because it comes there are versions on 3ds and other systems but to not have a PlayStation 4 or any console version uh announced kind of seems like an interesting omission i don't know if that's based on the team that's doing the port or how exactly Atlas West is involved in this. Does it? I'm not actually, sh- I'm not actually sure. I'm, I'm not sure if people have figured this out, but I'm not, I know like the Catherine classic port was done by like the Sega Europe team. And they Sega Europe has like a PC porting team that has done things like this. And I don't know if they also did this persona port. I mean, maybe that's just what they're used to. Sega Europe port. So I think, yeah. Unless we're told otherwise, I feel like it's a pretty safe assumption to uh, say that this was also a Sega Europe uh, joint. Yeah, and maybe that's just their expertise, and they're just like, "Hey, we don't porting to consoles is just not what we do." So they might, but they might have to outsource that later to some other group that can do that. Um, so it's worth noting that as of right now, like uh, Persona Four Golden is just under thirty thousand players in game right now on Steam. And it's going to hit that like probably later today. So it's like, so like, um, I don't know like the significance of this, but like some people were making a big deal about how at least yesterday. I'm not sure if it still is. Let me check. But um, yeah, yesterday, um, Persona Four actually got the store banner for Steam. So like, if you went on the Steam store homepage, you'd have a huge banner for Persona Four Golden like just at the top of the page. And apparently that's a huge deal. So it's like between 
obviously it's already a massive success. Like I've made jokes about how it very well may have sold more on PC already than it did on Vita in the West. Like that's a distinct possibility. Um, I feel like at this point though, it's now that Persona's on PC and it's doing so well, it really begs the question of what's next. And I guess in a less subtle way. So how long are we going to have to wait for P5R on PC since that's obviously the next step it's kind of weird because before it was just kind of like well there's no point even discussing this atlas games don't end up on pc and catherine was just kind of like this weird oddball because because it was a sega europe port like adam said it was the base catherine after full body had released on um on consoles after full body had released on consoles and it was like, nah, you know, Atlas is just out of scope. But now they're not. Now they're in scope. So now I think the door is open to talk about when are other Persona games? When's Digital Devil Saga? When's more? When's SMT or Shin Megami Tensei? Uh, and obviously that can get obnoxious if you take it too far. But, you know, now now the foundation's there. It's like, okay. Uh, and yeah, if you go to the steampower.com homepage right now, it still is Persona as the home banner, at least for me. Um which is crazy because you know a few weeks ago this would have seemed impossible like a, a clearly a mock-up or a or photoshop but now it isn't it's real so <laughs> well that, that was it it's just like i remember adam put into the chat about about it it's just like wow persona 4 gold is just like randomly coming to steam like i don't really know if there's any inspiration like behind why they've done it but like judging from the amount of people playing it there's clearly demand for it so put it on consoles <laughs> It, it definitely this, raises this, this, that you know that speculation on where else could they port this and other ports of other games. I think this being a Vita port to PC would it, even me speaking as an idiot here, not knowing anything about porting, I have to imagine that's a little bit easier than like one of their PlayStation Two games to PC. Just even for things as example like PS Two games are not widescreen at all, so. <laughs> things like that like might be a lot more difficult to take something like Digital Devil Saga and put it on PC. But like James said, something like Persona 5 Royal, maybe. <laughs> but not just PC, but other platforms. It's, like it's, yeah, Switch. They've already they put Scramble yeah. on Switch. So they have a Persona property on there. Who knows? Uh, another thing to consider is that, well, Catherine was on Xbox 360 and now Yakuza is like, weirdly enough, is almost, like, starting to get tied to the Xbox brand because he had, like, the first gameplay shown for Yakuza 7's English version, like, tied to uh, um, Microsoft's event. You've got all these, like, cross-promotions with it. It's... There's a distinct possibility that if Persona does go more multi-platform, it's not just, oh, we're going to only put it on PC... There's a chance that Persona comes to Xbox in the future. It's kind of funny. Like if you're if you're a young person listening to this, hearing things like having like Final Fantasy on PC or Final Fantasy on Xbox or whatever, probably doesn't sound that weird now because it's been like seven years since like Final Fantasy 13 went to PC, and that was kind of like the breakthrough point for that. Maybe seven years from now persona on pc or other platforms will just be normal maybe not but you never know <laughs> the, the obvious joke 
and, and this is this is so obvious that I've, I'm cringing at myself for even bringing it up. It's like they should put this on Switch so I could play it portably. It's like, hmm. Yes, they should. That reminds <laughs> that reminds me of that that absolute uh, shit post that Serial um, posted on Twitter, where he basically said, "I can finally play it," and he had uh, his Vita opened in the uh, Vita browser on the uh, store page for Persona Four Golden on Steam. <laughs> and he had the game mm-hmm. cartridge like just out of frame or just barely yeah. out of frame. I do. I do oh. like. This is a general gaming industry thing, but like the memes we get are pretty amazing. But I, l- I love the one that's come up now. Where it's like, oh, now you know why Sony killed the last PS Vita owner in The Last of Us Part Two. Like, <laughs> and then everything with a PS5 console shape, which we'll get to. Yeah, it, it just completely un um well unrelated. Well, I guess kind of related. So my Vita retrospective article that we put up like a few weeks ago. We found out about the uh, Persona port like right around the time that went live, so it was actually pretty hilarious in the background because I was writing about obviously like Persona Four Golden's the big Vita game that still hasn't been ported, and it's like <laughs> it was just funny. Yeah. Perfect timing. I will say you just to admit you did. We did learn about it before you posted it, so it wasn't like completely after the fact, but it was kind of yeah, after was, you like, drafted it, like, it up. Yeah, you said what I was going to say. It was between drafting. Yeah. yeah. You just posted funny. it anyway, just kind of pretending we didn't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really have much else to say. It it runs really well. Um, it has one thing I didn't expect is it ha- it runs like it has really good mouse and keyboard support, and some people really value that. <laughs> like all the menus, you know, all the options, everything is rebindable for both controllers and keyboards. So you can do whatever you want um, for control, control wise. Uh, it has, this is a tiny thing, but it's important to me. It has like volume sliders for music, sound effects, and voices. The Vita version does not have that. And that's something every game should have, whether it's a PC game or not. <laughs> Because, you know, sometimes you just want voice. Personally, I like voices to be maybe a little bit louder than maybe what they should naturally be because I hate when they get drowned out by, like, music. So, I, I for example, when I play the game, I just turn, <laughs> the, I just turn voices a little bit. But you can just do what you want there. It, it's just a generally a good port and a good way to play it. Um, and, yeah. Um, so on the on the menus, is there actually like cursor control in terms of being able to click menu UI? Yeah, um, actually, one thing that's just slightly annoying, very slightly annoying, but you kind of just forget about it, since it is a Vita version, Vita port, it has the uh, the the Vita version has a mechanic in dungeons like called SOS, where you can call for help. I actually don't know exactly how it works, but there was like this online component where you could have like another team from another player like rescue you if you needed to in a dungeon. Um, there's this little SOS button at the top that you can click with your mouse to do it. And I kind of wish it just wasn't there. It, it was like on the Vita, like a touchscreen button. And it's still there, but now it's just a mouse click. And you can, there's a, you can also press a button on your controller to do it. And then like outside of dungeons, there's a, I forget what, I forget what they call it, but there's also a touchscreen button in the corner that shares like what people did on that day at that time. Like what did people do on March 6th or May 16th in the game? And you can just click a button and it would say like what people did, like 
you know, hang out with this person or read a book or whatever. It's not really like crucial to the game, not even close, but there's this button there that's just kind of sitting there the whole time. And I kind of wish you could hide it. And I'm sure there might be a mod to do it, but now you can click it with your mouse. You can click any menu. You can use your mouse. Um, And of course, if you're playing with a controller, you can control everything with the controller as well, obviously. Um, But yeah, it's, it's got really good, you know, control options. Uh, I played with an Xbox 360 controller, which is a little, it kind of felt weird, you know, playing a Persona game with an Xbox controller and the game supports like X input or whatever, where the buttons will actually reflect as Xbox buttons. Um, I think I saw that it also supports like the Steam functionality or whatever that that it'll show switch buttons if you're using a switch controller. Um, so that's cool. I, I assume it supports like a dual shock. I'm assuming yeah. that I haven't yeah, tested I, it. I've seen, I've, yeah. Yeah. I've seen some people oh, Steam controller. Yeah. getting the right. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen some people have issues uh, getting the right prompts to show up, but I think that's basically based on whether or not your Steam controller settings are set properly. Do you have it? Do you have your com- controller recognized as just a general input or do you actually have it recognized as PlayStation 4 DualShock? Um, sometimes, I wish... yeah, I, I I know in my personal experience, sometimes you kind of have to fiddle with that so the Steam knows exactly what you're using and will show the right prompts. That was like Steam input um, support was one of the things I really enjoyed about the Dragon Quest Builders 2 PC port. And I really wish like more PC versions of the games would have it because just not having to fiddle around the game automatically detects the right inputs for the controller you're using is really nice, especially, I know this is like a really niche thing, but I do kind of hop around using different controllers for different types of games on PC. So I don't know. I I also do think there should be a fallback in game where you you just tell the game in game what prompts you want. I forget what I was playing something within the last couple months where it said, do you want Xbox 360 prompts, PlayStation 4 prompts, or Xbox One prompts, uh, because they're slightly different. And you can just select in-game, and it doesn't care what Steam thinks it is. I don't remember what game that was, though. But I do I do think it should be selectable there as well. I know that Utuadu Mono had those options, because um, it had PS3 buttons, PS4 buttons, Xbox 360, and Xbox One button prompts. It didn't have uh, Nintendo button prompts, but I feel like... Generally, not many people probably use their Nintendo controllers on PC. It's if anything would be the most niche, it would probably be that. Yeah, it's that's probably got the least overlap. Not not zero, but just the smallest slice. I was just gonna like give your shout out to your impressions piece, to your uh, to the video showing showcasing the gameplay on our YouTube channel. Uh, so you kind of really went and did a lot of detail of what your experience was with the port. So uh, I'll yeah, I have an impressions piece up there that you know it basically just nuts and bolts here's what the game has here's here are some comparison shots between the vita version and the pc version running at 4k here are the options that the that the pc version has um let me just mention one slight issue that is not really an issue but it's one of those things you notice when the game is running so well whenever you are about to pull off an all-out attack in the game which if you play persona you know exactly what that is there's just a slight hitch that happens right before it happens like right before the prompt appears in the game and it, it kind of sticks out when the game is running so well but it's not like a performance thing on your on like your computer as you're playing it it's it's because it, I, I tested it and it, it happens if you're playing at minimum settings or maximum settings it feels like it's this inherent thing in the game where it just needs to like 
think for just a split second before it loads the prompt. It'd be kind of nice if some sort of mod or patch would kind of fix that because you see it so often. And so you kind of get used to it. But it's like, it'd be nice if that was just smoother. Well, there are, if you go to like the Steam forums, there are some people who are already looking at uh, like disabling the intro videos, um, disabling the motion blur, which right now is not a toggle in the settings. So people are already kind of going to town to tweak it. So now people are like obviously kind of joking, like, where's the mod that removes Marie or whatever? Uh, maybe oh, down wow. the line we'll see Sorry. Some silly stuff. Go ahead. Sorry, this is unrelated, but. Um... Apparently, uh, Persona 4 is now, like, quote-unquote, the most successful, like, uh, concurrent, like, players of any JRPG on Steam. Like, it beat out Final yeah. Fantasy Thirteen. That's crazy. Like, the most successful Japanese games on Steam are obviously, like, Monster Hunter Resident Evil. The ones that and are Dark kind Souls. of... Yeah, they're, they're painting with a broad brush here, but they're the ones that are kind of, like, more geared towards a worldwide audience not saying jrpgs aren't but they're kind of specifically in their own little uh, niche in terms of their design and aesthetic so on a pure jrpg standpoint what's the competition there it would be like final fantasy games and things like that that's still crazy that it topped those where are you seeing that oh i just saw some uh, discussion on uh, about it on uh, metal council so you know ah if any, if any groups of people were going to know about that stuff, it would be them, Steam fanboys. Yeah, and uh, I looked at the concurrent numbers late last night and early this morning, and it was sitting at like 25th, like around kind of where like Euro Truck Simulator is, which is, if you don't know, like one of those kind of will never die PC uh, player bases. So it's it's got a, and obviously those numbers will dip. It's the first weekend of, of a surprise release, but the fact that it plateaued there for a, a niche JRPG series is still really impressive. Now that Persona 4 has like broken this gate, if you will, of up Atlas port to PC, like what other Atlas games would you really want to replay on PC or perhaps other consoles? But Personally, like I know I said before, it seems like it'd probably be harder to do, but I'd love like a chance to play like Nocturne on PC. Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne is like one of the best RPGs ever made, but I've only played it once. And that game has multiple endings and just the structure of the game itself, like in terms of how you construct your demons and how you construct your main character can vary quite a lot. So it's the type of game I feel you can play a second time quite differently than you played it the first time, both mechanically and what story path you take. So that, that personally would be the one I'd like to, you know, if there was a PC port for that, like miraculously, I'd play it. For me, it's stuff that I missed that word of mouth has me missing that I missed it. If that makes sense. Like, wow, digital devil saga saga is such a great JRPG. I'm like, well, I've never played that. And if I wanted to, I'd have to like, grab a used PS2 and a used copy of the game and uh, hook it up on a TV that supports that input on from that console, which I don't even, does that support HDMI? I doubt it. I have to get like a component thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if, if pie in the sky, they're like digital level saga one and two available on P on PC or, or on PS4 or whatever. Um, even if it wasn't like that far enhanced, if it was just kind of like up res, you know, made, uh, conducive to play in a modern environment i'd be like yes now i can finally experience this game that i've heard so much about 
that I've never gotten the chance to. So that's where I am. Those games that I've missed. Uh, very, very random, but I like how there was a there was a kind of a image, kind of meme but also serious image that going around on social media last week where it was during one of the BLM protests where someone was like had a sign that's like, I could have been home, you know, playing Digital Devil Saga, but instead you had to, you know, the police had to act this way towards black people. <laughs> it's just kind of a weird mixing of something serious and something silly, which I guess is what memes do these days. Well, sometimes you do need just that bit of levity. Otherwise, you just get mired in, you know, pessimism and, you know, all those thoughts. So, but that, that's my answer to your question. It's Digital Devil Saga. Okay, uh, we'll move on. So, we kind of jumped the order by introducing Persona 4 Golden, but... That's what you have been playing the last couple of weeks, and uh, we have a nice impression piece and video out for that, so I want to get that first out of the way. So now going into the rest of the topics will be kind of from earlier in the week to the Dailies of News yesterday. So the first one is a new bit of news on Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition, where they basically ran through screenshots and uh, character introductions of you know, not there's nothing new here. This is stuff that was in the original game, but talks about locations, talks about the different uh, caravans that you meet, talks about you know characters like Stiltskin, things like that. So, really, kind of getting into that near release ramp of kind of media releases for Crystal Chronicles. And this is kind of the opposite of Persona Four, where it's releasing on PlayStation Four and Switch, and I'm like, why not PC? But uh, I've stated this previously, but um, I'm really excited for Crystal Chronicles Remastered. Uh, it is coming out uh, August 27th, so a little bit later than what they initially planned, but uh, I think that's a good time for it. Uh, obviously, this game, when it first released on GameCube, in order to, in order to play with three friends, you had to have the, you know the link cables and the uh, the GBAs and all that stuff. Uh, it'll be nice to have just a convenient way to play a multiplayer game now with online infrastructure and things like that. So who here is going to play Crystal Chronicles Remastered with me? Adam, I'm going to rope you into it. I mean, Crystal Chronicles is one of those games. It's designed and structured very differently from almost any other game. It's this cooperative multiplayer dungeon crawler, like Final Fantasy game using like the Crystal Chronicles aesthetic which they kind of dove a little bit further into that like in the early Wii and DS years but kind of have since dropped off they kind of gave up on that like branch of Final Fantasy but because of the way the original game required you know the link cables and getting your friends over to play it and kind of play this cooperative game I never finished it so I kind of it kind of is one of those things is like you know I never finished it, kind of feel bad that I never actually completed this game, so here's my chance to do that. The new game has like the online mode, and it is cross-play, so you can play, if you get the PS4 version and I get the Switch version, you can still play together. There's also a mobile version. I do wish there was a PC version, if only because I want to play online, I don't have PS Plus or Nintendo online, (laughs) so I kind of have to get that to do this. But, you know... Obviously, the online component has a convenience factor to it. However, 
I kind of do wish the game would have support local co-op as well. It's there was some listings that seemed like it might support it, but it wasn't like an official one. And so it, it seems like it doesn't. Like from all from all official from from all official word from Square Enix, it has never mentioned local co-op. So it seems like it's going to be online only, or you're playing by yourself. And to be quite honest, if you're playing the game by yourself, I don't think it's as strong. We'll have to see if they've tweaked it at all, but <laughs> it's really a game yeah, that's it's... meant to be a multiplayer game. But I am looking forward to playing it with you and maybe other people in our staff here as it yeah, releases. Why not? You know, you got you guys have picked it up enough. The thing is, is that I don't know if my like quote unquote hype for the game is really justified. It's kind of more like wow, I can finally play the game as it was intended, the way I never really was able to when I was you know a you know, younger, but is it going to live up to my, you know, my mind's eye of what, you know, this kind of my envisioning of it or not really? Because, you know, I, I've never seen the ending. The number of times I've played with three friends is probably like twice total getting people, three people over to play a long session of this game. And like, I, that was, that was a taste of what it was, but now that it actually will be so convenient, you'll be like, Oh, actually this wasn't as good as I envisioned, but Hopefully not. I'm going to be optimistic. I really love the art style. Like Adam said, it's kind of got that semi, I don't want to say chibi. That's not quite the right thing, but it's got like that artsy Final Fantasy IX-ish fantasy feel and less of kind of that punky steam steampunk, you know, gear punk, semi-futuristic feel of like Final Fantasy X or, or, or 15 or, or 7. So it's it's pure high fantasy with that Final Fantasy flair, which we haven't seen in a while. So that I do agree that that's kind of also a highlight for me. And going into the PlayStation 5 reveal event, uh, Square Enix did show up there as well to introduce not Final Fantasy 16, but Project Athia or Athia, uh, A-T-H-I-A which is the new product from Luminous Productions. Or is it Luminous Studios? Nope, Luminous Productions, uh, which is the spin-off studio that based on the Final Fantasy XV team led by Tabata. But uh, Tabata is not at either place anymore, but this is Luminous's new product, new project. We got like a really short teaser of a heroine kind of like jumping like uh, at high speed from like high bluffs and into like a dark forest with some like demonic creatures it's really not that long and kind of passes by in a flash um it's kind of hard to glean too much about it from it just because it was kind of so brief but it's it's an interesting first look but it's hard to really even do much speculation just because so little was really shown i liked what i saw but like you say there's that I, I can I can only remember like flashes of it, but then looking back at the trailer, it kind of is all just one big flash. Like yeah, that's it, basically what the trailer is: is flashes of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah, they seem to be putting like a lot of emphasis on it. Like I, I see, I keep seeing clips of it on Twitter. And was it PlayStation who like put it as their header for a bit, like the header image? Like it seems to be a lot bigger than the 40, 30, 40 seconds of footage we've seen. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I so you might have seen news recently that like Square Enix hired like a combat designer from Capcom, but I think that was not for Lumina Studio. That was for one of their other divisions. 
So, so like this Luminous Studio game, this trailer and also the accompanying press release has not really said what type of game it is. We are actually sort of debating, like, should we cover it as an RPG? Because it, it may not be one. I mean, we sort of, Square Enix, that's mostly what they make. So we're kind of just working on an assumption here, but who, we don't really know. The trailer, like the one small bit of quote gameplay that we saw was like the main character had like some sort of like plant-based vine power that she like called up with her hand that attacked some sort of hellhound or something. And so it was just a really quick thing. And of course she can like jump, apparently jump good. But <laughs> jump good. Yeah, we don't know though what it is. I wonder if like this reveal and Project Athia is also like a working title. It's not the title of the game. I wonder if this reveal is more like conceptual or maybe uh, strategic in a way to show that like to share to shareholders that like Luminous Studio has something tangible that they're working on because it has been two years since they were since they were basically formed officially and maybe this is one of those things that like shareholders value this sort of thing like we can see what you're working on and we know what this project is and that it'll eventually return it to some game that will sell and so maybe that's maybe it's more of a strategic thing like hey we have to show you that this is what we are this is what luminous studio is doing that's what your that's what your shares are working towards in a way that's just speculation on my part but to kind of just give a tangible this is what we are doing Do announcement you think it could be final fantasy like say say we're going wild here like maybe it is final fantasy 16 pretty much everyone's it's... saying it's not final fantasy oh. i know some people have joked that it like this game will take 10 years to release and by the time it does release they'll they'll just rename it to final fantasy 16 just because yeah. that's that's what happened to versus even though versus was always final fantasy um what this if, game what if they does go artsy with it and they call it like athia final fantasy or something like that like another spin-off it does have like shades of that old luminous trail luminous engine agni's philosophy trailer it's not quite the same like the character design is different um but it's not dramatically different like it's like a woman with like uh this kind of robish scarfish sort of attire um and it's not it's sort of like this semi-realistic art style but who knows if it's actually related to that agni demo or not but it's the same engine but is it Final Fantasy or not? I mean, I guess that's a loaded question. What is Final Fantasy? It's got its own branches of various styles that we've just mentioned. But in any case, I guess we'll just have to wait. It, it seems like this game is still a bit away. And yeah. it might be a while before we hear it's, about it again. You you kind of cynically stated, what if this was Square Enix just trying to prove that this studio is going to produce something? I also wonder if it. this is also kind of cynical where this is like the Sony's PlayStation 5 big breakout. Obviously, the console had already been announced, but not shown and no software shown for it, really. And Square Enix, despite being on the Xbox and the Switch and the PC, like you had mentioned also earlier, I do still think that Square Enix has an identity that is very strongly tethered to PlayStation, just based on how strong their PS2-like connection was. So it felt like almost like an obligation that Square Enix showed up in some place at this showing, and this is what they had. Uh, I have two further comments. Is that so? The studio director, once I want to make sure I get his name right, Takashi Aramaki, went to PlayStation Blog to talk about the game a little bit, but it's honestly like four sentences. Like it's very like 
you know, what's the word like mealy mouthed, just kind of PR speak where it's like, we want to take you on a thrilling otherworldly adventure, action packed twists, tempestuous, you know, things like that. It's, there's not, there's not really anything of substance there. It's got some nice screenshots showing like the art and the uh, enemy design and things like that. My other comment is on like the movement where when she's jumping, when this character in this demo is jumping from bluff to bluff at like really high speeds, I think it's supposed to be like really impressive, like how fast she's moving, almost kind of like that uh, Unreal Engine 5 demo that we saw, I know, earlier this month or last month. But I almost felt like the way she kind of like skipped off one of those bluffs without ever like pausing to like rebuild momentum, it almost feels like like it's moving faster than it should. Like I don't feel the momentum. I know it's, this is going to sound like really weird, but like she's moving at a high speed towards the bluff. She lands and immediately skips off at like rockets off in another direction. And I just feel like it doesn't preserve, like it doesn't almost feel like the movement is natural. You kind of, I've seen some people that. say, I've seen some people say that they, the animations actually remind them of final fantasy 15, which, you know, yeah, it's I the like same studio, and they probably, they're not going to, I don't know anything about game development, but I assume some animations are borrowed and adjusted. They're maybe not just made from scratch every single time. That seems like that would be very inefficient. But it is the Final Fantasy XV team, effectively, working on this game. And speaking of that, some people have noticed how, like, the the uh, the landscape that she sees, it's, like, covered in, like, low clouds, has some landscape architecture like these arc like it's like these arcs of natural earth like they would never exist in real life but they exist in final fantasy 15 and they exist here so people are wondering like is this just a coincidence is it just a lazy art designer using the same concept or is it somehow related to final fantasy 15 you know do you you know what i'm saying it's like these arcs of earth that like it's like yeah, I don't, I don't know how else, to, how else to describe it. It's like land that forms a natural arc that you can go under. And apparently it's stable and doesn't fall apart. But they are there. This is what I mean, though, when I say, like, it could, like, I, I don't think it is. Because I feel like, even though I feel like if it were Final Fantasy sixteen, we, it, it would come up on Twitter, like, straight away. So I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is Final Fantasy sixteen. Like, some insider would know about it. Just... The vibe I get from watching it, I was just waiting at the end for it to be like project and then smash and like, oh, Final Fantasy 16. Like, I, I personally wouldn't be that surprised if it's related to Final Fantasy. Um, I don't like that is me just betting wildly. But the, like, like Adam said, the architecture, well, not even architecture, but the that specific scene where she's looking out, it does look like it does look like a view from Final Fantasy 15. So the links are there, I think. I really think it's just an environmental artist, like going to the well, a design that they like that they went with. I think it would be really contrived to be like, this is the world of Final Fantasy 15, a millennia later or something like that. I, I would roll my eyes so hard at that. I wouldn't <laughs> put it past them, but I really hope it's not that. But yeah, Project Athea, it just seems like the sort of thing that we might not hear about again for another calendar year. It seemed really far off. By the way, uh, I'm not sure if we ever actually said it, but it's also coming to PC. Position uh, 5 and PC.
The next major RPG announcement from the PlayStation 5 reveal event is a Bluepoint-led remake of Demon's Souls. I don't know if James has a comment here, because I think you're the one that most recently played it. I played this, I think, yeah. when it came to PS Plus, like, five years ago or something. Liked it a lot. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And honestly, both the uh, Sony-exclusive Souls games are probably tied for my favorite, them being, obviously, Demon's Souls and Bloodborne. Um, there's been a lot of contention among the fan base and people talking about the change in art direction for the remake. And I'm of two minds about it. On one hand, if you want to play the original, you can do what I did and literally just emulate your PS3 copy at 4K60, and nobody's getting rid of the original game. So if you just want like a remaster, same everything, just maybe like better performance, better resolution, there you go. But um, I do think that maybe the art style change doesn't quite make sense thematically. What I mean is, is that if you look at some of the screenshots of the game, it looks like it has that very busy, very grown-over look that was a big thing in Dark Souls 3. But the problem is, is that Dark Souls 3 is millennia and millennia after the events of Dark Souls 1 and 2. It's supposed to be literally the end of the Dark Souls universe, so it makes sense that everywhere would be so messy, so grown-over, because it's like multiple timelines kind of like converging and whatnot. But Demon Souls... The events of Demon Souls happen very shortly after the uh, old one kind of came and all the demons came. So it makes sense that so many of the areas and like the uh, dungeons and the castles are going to still look like castles that were just recently abandoned. Because in, in the lore, it makes sense because they were just recently abandoned. So I do think it doesn't make quite that much sense that all of like all of the shots we've seen of like these castles like uh, Boletaria Palace and all that that they're so overgrown and in disarray when that doesn't really mesh with the story of Demon Souls so I have not played Demon Souls and maybe that invalidates what I'm just about to say here but when I saw like some of these comparisons that people were making like I okay I have no idea what these character names are but like the giant knight that was in the tra- that was in the trailer and screenshots, like in the original PS3 version, there's like this bloom effect where the sky behind him is like this blindingly white sky, and then like the night itself, like and the world around that night is like very dark and kind of bleak looking. It's almost dreamlike in a way, where it's not like this is how a real world would look, but has this sort of moody dreamlike style to it. Is the way I would describe it as someone who has not played the game. Whereas, like, in the remake version, the remake version is just, like, this higher fidelity, more natural lighting sort of deal. And just, as again, as someone who hasn't played it, it, like, loses that moody, dreamlike feel. And it's more just, oh, there's a giant knight. Well detailed. Yeah, so I saw, saw like, a couple. So first of all, the trailer that was shown for this was basically uh, redone footage from the one of the original game's trailers. Which I felt a lot of people were kind of lukewarm on. It was more just the excitement of knowing, oh my god, a Demon Souls remake was coming. But I think where a lot of the excitement really came is when the um, the high resolution screenshots of all the different like castles of Boletaria and things like that were being shown, and then people were obviously lining them up with the original game to compare them. So two comments: one, a lot of what James talked about, where 
a a hallway in the castle like in the ps3 game basically being an early ps3 game there wasn't a whole lot going on it was just kind of like a clean floor simple textures on the walls and pillars leading to a doorway where in the in the remake it's like overgrown it's got like vines and you know overgrowth going up on, on on the pillars with like vegetation and life and some people say that that looks really detailed and really nice and different and kind of really shows the extent of improvement but then i guess james brought up the caveat where it's like is this how it should look well that's going to come down to your perspective and also based on how it should look i saw some people taking some of the screenshots and trying to edit them in two ways they were trying to the the remake seems like it's almost more blue shifted in terms of like color grading. So I saw some people trying to tweak the color grading to make it look more like the original game. And then some people as uh, just being kind of silly, like here's the same screenshot, only I applied a bunch of bloom. And obviously bloom is kind of like that uh, laughing stock a bit almost of that PS3 era, like post-processing effect where people just went overboard on it. But I think in some ways people are nostalgic for it in Demon Souls because of like what Adam said, it helps contribute to like this dreamlike uh, environment and it almost looks too clean without it it's, yeah if you haven't played the game maybe you don't have that impression you just think inherently i'll bloom when it's that gross is gross no matter where it is but i do kind of when i saw some of these edited pictures that slather a bunch of bloom on i'm like you know what that looks that looks distinct i don't know i don't want to like I don't. I guess it would require someone like Adam, or I presume George, to to kind of go into this remake without having these preconceptions of what Demon Souls is supposed to quote unquote look like. I mean, I've I've played like well, th- th- my experience with FromSoft games, like I've played most of them, but I never besides Sekiro, which is one of the best games ever. Go play Sekiro. I I've never like like Bloodborne. I played and got like five or six hours into, and then just fell off. And I've always meant to go back to it. So like I could go back in and play Demon Souls the the remake without really understanding it. But I have played like one or two hours of it. And for for my okay. money, I think it looks looks really good. I don't think the trailer showed it off as well as the screenshots do though. The screenshots make it look really really good. But then yeah, I, I also have to respect like someone like James who gets it thematically and has a deeper connection with it will probably be like this is changing the vision a bit which did shadow of the colossus change the vision a lot because uh, i played the same extent that it's looking like the demon souls remake is i actually saw some similar comparisons where screenshots from the ps2 game or i guess the ps3 game of shadow of the colossus really go heavy on bloom and things like that uh and then the remake uh, kind of cleans it up, which, you know, I guess on a pure technical level, you say, oh, this looks nicer, but then on a, on a more, like, emotional level, you say, well, it looks different. And then, obviously, some people are don't like how Wander looks in the remake or things like that. Um, I guess it's dependent on, like, yeah. you then, isn't it? I yeah, it's it one good. of those emotional I... things where you can't say, like, well, clearly one is better than the other. Yeah, like, you can only lean one way or the other based on your own, you know, what you prioritize, how you feel, those things that you can't just put a, a number to. I will say, and this is a unique situation I'm in, um, I feel like the argument, there's an argument for Shadow of the Classes that could be made, well, it was a PS2 game, and you're bringing that from PS2 to PS4, 
that's a huge jump. And there's a lot of details that maybe might have been initially intended that they just wouldn't have been able to put into the game, especially since Shadow of Colossus, when it first came out on PS2, was already kind of kind of almost like not performing well enough. Like it was basically right on the cusp of being playable in some in some areas, I remember. Yeah. Um with Demon Souls, I'm not sure if that same thing applies. And the reason I say that is, and it's not really something you've noticed if you're playing Demon Souls at 720p on a regular old PS3, but when you pump the resolution up for uh, RPCS3 and you emulate it, you actually see that a lot of Demon Souls assets are a lot higher fidelity than you would be led to believe by the lower resolution of the PS3. Like the texture resolution for for enemy models is impressively high. Like they wouldn't look out of place in like a PS4 game or something like that. And it makes me wonder. Well, was was it really just a stylistic choice for the uh, castles to be so clean and bare in Demon Souls? W- was it a performance issue? I- I'm going to lean towards it was a stylistic issue because well. The textures are such high fidelity. It feels like a lot of work was specifically put into them to make to look at this way. Whereas, if it was a performance consideration, I would have thought that the textures would be maybe of a lesser quality or something like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass. <laughs> it it does sort of make me laugh though. For the discourse I've seen so far on Twitter is that most Demon Souls fans like are sort of like middling towards the changes made and like non demon souls fans like don't seem super excited for it I-, I don't know whether this is just me missing the fan base but like i've seen a lot of people saying that they wish blue point were working on something else i don't know what you guys think of that but uh i don't like i played through demon souls once and when I see this remake, I I guess I'm with James where it's like the original is always there. It's not being deleted or taken away. Um, I'm interested to see what it plays like with, you know, modern lighting and new assets yeah. and things like that. And Demon Souls, I know I know people who haven't played the game have probably heard this to death, and it's one of those hard things that you can't really substantiate until you play it. But it has some of the best like environmental storytelling overarching you know art styles emotional connection just there's nothing in the other games that i think that really compare to like the sense of dread that you feel when you're creaking through the tower of latria trying to avoid those mind flares or uh that that swamp in the fifth archstone where it just feels like it's one of those games where you know uh you see this kind of topic come up with in the the space of talking about like last of us or whatever like do games have to be fun all the time i think that's kind of a dead-end conversation because what people define as fun is different i think sometimes being given that like over overbearing oppressive environment and being told try to survive this come out at the other end victorious i think that is fun uh not in the same natural way that you would usually think of it but that's something that I think Demon Souls does so well. When you get through the Tower of Latrial and you finally get to the church and you fight that, uh, I don't remember that that boss's name there, but um, uh, it's just, there's just something about the, the world design. 
No, the one that's in the church with the pews, just like some sort of flying. Yeah, I forget her name. Sort. The boss fight where Softlock is a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm ex- I'm eager to play through this again because in a lot of ways I feel like that's something that the uh, rest of the series kind of lost. I think it came back a little bit in Bloodborne, but kind of under a different style uh, of storytelling. I, yeah. Um, I do wonder what things they might change about the remake because. Demon Souls very much has its own identity, kind of divorced from the rest of the Souls series, I'd say, in the sense that you've got some really interesting mechanics like world tendency, as annoying as it might be. You've got um, a certain attack that a certain boss near the end of the game does that can literally lower your level by one if you get hit by it. And I, and I got to wonder just how much of that is going to make the jump to the PlayStation 5 intact, because, I don't know, it just... I, I'm really curious to see what gets changed in this game and what stays the same. So, elephant in the room, do you think they'll do anything with that last archstone? I'm thinking yes. not. That just that just doesn't seem like that's in Blue Point's wheelhouse. Do you think they will? Yes, because they said this is their. Uh, well, yes, they said this is their um, largest project. And they've already shown that they're not afraid to get really different with some of their takes on the game. Regardless of what I was saying earlier about the art style and whatnot, it's a different developer. Sony was one half of the development studio for the game anyways, and Japan Studio is still collaborating on this. So in all likelihood, we don't even know if the people that were behind designing the environments were on Japan Studio's end specifically, or if they were on From Software's end. For all we know, it could just be that some of the same people at Japan Studio are saying, yeah, we wanted this, let's do this. Um, regardless, Blue Point's shown that they're not afraid to change things up quite significantly. And I would not be shocked if we did end up getting that final arch zone. Because the thing is, is that in the PS3 version's files, you could see that a good portion of the final arch zone was actually finished. It just wasn't completely polished. So I really do think that they'll probably end up doing it. Well, you make kind of a compelling argument. My Where I was going to go was like they had the opportunity to add back in like Colossi from Shadow of the Classes, and they didn't do that. But maybe those were not nearly as far along as what was in that final Archstone and Demon Souls. So I was looking at the precedent there, but but maybe it's not quite a good a good uh, I feel like analogy. It, it's probably easier to add in the Archstone than it would have been in, to add in new Colossi, because with adding in new Colossi, Shadows of the Colossus's world is a big open world. If you're adding in new Colossi, you need to be like, okay, where do we put them? And you have to do redesigns or additions to the map that way. Whereas with Demon Souls and the Archstones, Assuming that the hub is still a thing, assuming that you still go to those arch zones to teleport to the areas, then you just make an entirely segmented area for the new arch zone, and you don't have to worry about where it necessarily fits into the game world because it's going to be separate anyways. At least that's yeah, how that's I feel. About it. But I guess weren't there weren't there like files of planned colossi in the? Um for the original game, but maybe they never made yeah. it past like the conceptual stage where the Archstone and Demon Souls was more further along. So kind of easier to pick up. 
I guess we'll see. I guess I'm okay either way, whether or not it's a faithful remake, if that last stone is broken, or if they decide we're gonna go. This is we're 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 gonna make a statement, and this is our remake. We're gonna do this. So. And the last RPG, or at least RPG adjacent announcement at the uh, PlayStation Five event was the announcement of the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn called Horizon Forbidden West, which we kind of introduced a little bit when George talked about finishing up the base game. So this is uh, unlike Horizon Zero Dawn, which was kind of like, well, I guess neither one is going to be a uh, a launch title for their you know respective consoles, but this was kind of the uh would you say this was kind of like the the show the, the show, game of the show? One, yeah yeah well so i so, think they kind of wanted it to be that there were two options where it was like spider-man was a starter and i think got more hype but then horizon is really intended to be that showcase one the first sort of like big The thing is, is that they didn't, um, they didn't give any sort of release information of this other than coming to PS5, right? Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's still it's TBC, but I think likely 2021. That might be hopeful, but um, I don't know. I like obviously they haven't given a date, and that generally means that oh, it's far away. But maybe the reason they didn't give a date is because it's going to be a launch title, and we don't, and they don't want to give a date now because it's like this is when the PS5 is coming out. Because like Horizon came out in early 2017, so it's so the sequel has had a, a pretty lengthy development cycle already. It wouldn't shock me if if it would be a launch title still. I think that would be really really cool, but. The idea that it would be a launch title and they wouldn't say now holiday 2020 and then have people going, oh my god, I need a PS5 this holiday, I don't think would make sense, like marketing wise. Like with with Spider Man, they said holiday 2020, and immediately yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, well, I need a PS5 then, like this holiday. So that that could definitely, I, I think they would. And we have seen that Sony is not, you know, adverse to announcing something way ahead of its launch like we saw it was almost kind of like a meme early in the ps5's lifestyle you don't since it's been a couple of years you may not remember this but i remember like within throughout 20 late 2016 i believe 2017 you'd be like oh here they're gonna show god of war again it's still not out <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, obviously since it's been a couple of years since that game released you kind of forget about it but then same with like ghost of tsushima where it's like they announced it real early and then kind of went quiet for a while before finally ramping up into the release in a couple months I'm not saying that Horizon Forbidden West is destined to be strung on like that. I'm just saying that this could easily this could easily be a late 2021 or even early 2022 title, and I really yeah. wouldn't be that surprised. But we'll see. I think they they did a lot of that during the show anyway, where they were like, "Oh, here's all these games, um, but you're not going to find out." Like they they didn't want to give release dates for basically any of them, besides Spider Man. Like Ratchet and Clank are sort of expecting at the end to be like, oh, 2021, but they've kept that silent as well. So I, I kind of feel like they are playing the long game again, where it's like, here are a bunch of really cool games, but they're going to come out like, not yet, just intermittently. And we're still seeing that now. Like, The Last of Us Part 2 was announced 2017, I think, or it was, it was a, a PlayStation ago, experience. Yeah. 
And like that's only coming out next week. Which I think is okay. Obviously, it drives. Uh, I think we had this conversation a few weeks ago, but it's like you know, if you invest in a PlayStation Five, that you've got all these games on the way. Obviously, we hope we can play a good chunk of them at launch, which it sounds like we're going to be able to get some in the launch window that are really cool, like that uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. But to know that you've got Horizon on the way and Project Athea on the way and everything like that, Final Fantasy VII Remake Two on the way, no. Oh, I just checked, and The Last of Us Part Two got announced at PlayStation Experience 2016. Oh my god, <laughs> that's mad. To be sure, that was December that's... 2016. So I saw something say that like uh, Last of Us One came out seven years ago today or eight years ago. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was. Like, it doesn't feel like that long ago. Um, I guess speaking less about Sony announcement cycles and and th- did anyone see anything like really like so I watched this trailer but I didn't really gather much from it because I haven't played the original game I don't know if maybe Adam or George have any more like detailed takes about what they shown here with the announcement trailer for Horizon Forbidden West. Um, um I played the original game and I'd say it it makes a lot of sense because um. While there was a big baddie in Horizon Zero Dawn, like it also really set it up that there was like multiple other possible baddies that the series could explore going forward. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like silence. I saw something. Someone shared this on Twitter where there's like some sort of intel pickup that you can get in the base game that talks about the Forbidden West. Is it limited oh, yeah. just to that, or or is it more of a big overarching thing that everybody knows about the Forbidden West? I don't remember well, hearing anything about it. In the game. There's a, I mean, the Forbidden West. There's that one, uh, there's that one log about it, but I think that's the only time it's actually mentioned. Like, it's not, it's not like the end. The first game ends like now we have to go to the West and we're all waiting for it. Like that didn't happen. Um, so but like the end of the first game without spoil- the, no. The, the end of the first game does end with a sequel tease involving one of the characters, and that character does show up in the trailer for the new game. We don't know what they're doing, and it's kind of this mystery, like, what is going on. But let's, I, the only thing I want to say is the first game left the door open that, like, yes, there's a, an avenue for a sequel in terms of the game's storyline. In terms of, like, the trailer itself, it showed, like, new locations and new landscapes. It didn't show any, like, direct gameplay footage, which I think for an announcement trailer is probably fine. But it showed like um, it showed like a robot, like giant boar, which I'm pretty sure is new, and a couple of other monsters. There were some flying things. The, the first game had some flying robo monsters as well. But like it showed some monsters. It showed oh yeah the uh, the uh, like the mammoths, and that's new. So it's so in terms of like gameplay, we're like oh so there's going to be some new different types of monsters that we haven't seen before. There's some new locations. There's this story intrigue that the first game sort of left us with that we there's more that we know that they could explore there we don't know what it is exactly but you know there's stuff that we can see that this game will tackle in some way so beautiful as well like that that is really maybe the best looking game i've seen i I shared some screenshots in the in the chat like official like press screenshots uh that they released on twitter after and there's just there's just a few like the we can see the Golden Gate Bridge, and it just looks incredible. Like th- this is one, but with but just push further. This is a bit of a tangent, but 
the way that that for the uh, Forbidden West showed up just kind of tucked away in a little Intel like read pickup, it actually kind of reminds me how roll your eyes. I'm going to talk about uh, Pillars of Eternity Deadfire. In the base game, I think there was just like one tiny side quest that barely introduced the Deadfire Archipelago. archipelago. Um, And then they kind of went ham and they made the whole sequel based on that environment that they had just barely, barely teased that, you know, you blink and you miss it. So that's kind of what this reminded me of where it's like it's tucked away in a little Intel blog. And I always wonder when you see something like that, when you do you have like the world designer when they put that seed there in the first place do they intentionally kind of leave that where it's like we can follow up on this with a full you know a full-fledged game if we want to uh like how much of that intent is pre-planned it's something i've always been kind of curious about yeah that, that is an interesting point i uh because I, I don't even remember picking up the, the thing about the forbidden west in the game obviously I think I've made it clear that I haven't. I've not played that game. Like, right. I like to think that when they put something like that in there, they they kind of have an inkling. Yeah, and I, like I mentioned when I'm talking about Xenoblade, like if I had played Horizon Zero Dawn when I was like early 20s, I probably would have just gathered all the pickups and never read them. But now I'm a little bit more patient. I do try to like really get into that. I'm not always successful, but uh. uh I, I do wonder, like, if there was anyone anywhere that was like, man, I want to hear more about the Forbidden West. And then they're, like, extra excited when, like, oh, shit, that's where they're going with the sequel. But, yeah, no uh, no release date. Looks really awesome. Uh, don't know when we'll plan to see it. And maybe I'll come up with some impressions when we, when, uh, I, I guess I talked about this when, when George was talking about having finished the game earlier. But I am excited to try that once it hits PC eventually soon. I'm surprised they didn't announce that like there as well. Like I, I was pretty sad. Yeah, on that, that, thing. that. Well, I guess they don't want to take, um, you know, the momentum away from. By the way, you can play this on this cons this, this other platform that's oh, not yeah, ours. I guess so. yeah. But yeah, it, it would have been something they could have snuck into like a blog post on their website or something like that. Like by the way, you know, you cannot play this game, or or we have a release date announced for the PC version of this game. That's kind of like another weird one of those like walls coming down for PC gaming where like these first party titles, Horizon's first party through and through, right? It's not like um, Quantic Dream where it's kind of... No, Guerrilla is owned by uh, um, Sony. And actually, one thing you might might have noticed during the PlayStation 5 reveal stream is that um, recently, kind of like how Microsoft has consolidated their uh, purchase studios under the Xbox Game Studios uh, branding... Sony has done so with their studios now, and they have the dedicated PlayStation Studios branding. So, like, pretty much everything that had a PlayStation Studios logo right before the trailer, I think, is a first-party studio. That's kind of cool. But, yeah, just Horizon Zero Dawn is also kind of like one of those weird... What what follows after this on Steam? Who knows? Because every other game, like Death Stranding or the Quantic Dream games coming onto PC, you kind of have that caveat. It's like, well... It wasn't a first-party studio, or it only had a you know an agreement to release on PlayStation back when it launched. But Horizon Zero Dawn doesn't really have those caveats. It's being published by like Sony Mobile or something on Steam, so yet it makes you wonder what's next there. Will Forbidden West come to come to PC eventually? I get this at this point. You'd have to say you know eventually it will. 
We don't know when, but right before the PlayStation Six is revealed. <laughs> yeah. Before we move on to like other news topics, because this is the last PS5 thing, what did everyone think of the design of the PS5? I, I hated it at first, but the more that I have time to digest it, it's like I see what they're going for, and obviously it's worked out for them in the sense that you literally can't look at it and not immediately understand that it's a PlayStation 5. It's got a very distinct look to it, and the memes have been insane. Oh, yes. Good memes. I, I think I like it's the very clearly one. meant to be like the... Uh, it's If you have that on your entertainment stand or on your desk or under your TV, it's very clearly like, I'm the PS5, I'm here, show me off. Where the Xbox One, which I'm fine with that design as well, but it's just more like you put it next to your receiver or next to your Blu-ray player and it kind of doesn't stand out. And I'm not saying standing out is inherently good or bad. It just doesn't. Um, it's kind of more like just functional. This is what you use to play our Xbox games. Or the PS5 is more show me off. I, I'm the centerpiece oh, of, your, of your entertainment stand. My favorite is the uh, Seto Kaiba head. It all perched on I top was of just it thinking with that. the popped collar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't love the design, but I don't hate it. I guess it's one of those things where it's like I'm not really going to be looking at it. What I'll probably do is like it'll probably just like sit on a corner of my PC desk and I'll play it through my monitor. Like yeah. once it's plugged in and there, I won't be looking at it. Like that's kind of where I'm that's, at. That's, so for that's me, what consoles, I will yeah. say, looking at the size comparisons by lining up the disk drive and the USB like um, port, it's kind of crazy how huge the PlayStation 5 yeah, actually it's deceptive. is. Like, I'm I'm looking at my PlayStation 4 Pro right now, and that's already a bit of a chonker, and it's like, oh god, that's like another couple of chonker. inches to the side. It's like, ooh, where am I going to fit it on my desk? It's, it's kind of weird where it's like, uh, the Xbox is announced and everyone's making those silly like refrigerator comparisons, and then this one comes out and it's like, oh, it looks like a, a building in... Uh, Soul South Korea or something like that, where it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, and then since the uh, Switch, because it's not a tall console, but because you have to have access to the portable thing to, come, to slide off the top, the Switch also requires, like, inherently to have, like, a top shelf spot. You can't just slide it underneath because then you can, you can never, you know, load it. So assuming the Switch 2 or Switch Pro or Switch I or whatever you call it also has that same form, you know, form factor, all three of these are going to require top shelf access pretty much. I guess you could put the PS5 on its side. It doesn't look that great that way, I don't think. But both those consoles are displayed standing upright pretty damn tall. So they're all going for that kind of top shelf position on your on your entertainment stand. So after the PlayStation 5 announcement, but before the weekend announcements from like the PC gaming show, Nintendo had to sneak in one little thing. Uh, no, not a direct, unfortunately, but they gave us a five minute trailer for the upcoming Paper Mario, the Origami King, which is releasing uh, like a month, basically a month from a month from Wednesday. So not too long from now. Uh, so we had the announcement trailer for this, which we talked about pretty recently because it wasn't announced that long ago. But this is basically like almost like a five minute one hundred and one of like what's in the game, what does it include? It, it's almost like a tutorial for the game. It's, it's not like cinematic trailer. It's literally like what is the game. 
Uh, so I don't know if Adam wants to talk about this the most because he's been the most in the Paper Mario mindset the last month. But what do you think of this extended showing of the Origami King? So it seems like it's going to be an adventure game again, which is what they labeled it. So it's not too surprising. But like an adventure game like Color Splash, which to be honest, I'm fine with. The color game or the uh, adventure game parts, color game, the adventure game parts, I think are okay. But there are just some weird oddities and some implementation in certain randomness elements and certain battle elements that really take down Color Splash and Sticker Star, in my opinion. The battle system in Origami King, the new game, so what it is, if you didn't see the trailer, is like you're on like a 3D stage and your Mario and a and a sidekick is like in the center of it. And before every battle, it looks like you get like 30 seconds or so to rotate and slide parts of the stage around and you're trying to like group up and line up enemies and then you attack them. So the idea is is if they are efficiently lined up, you can do you can be more efficient in terms of like my jump uses of a, my usage of a jump ability here is going to hit more enemies or my hammer is going to hit more enemies and so the smarter you line them up the better you're going to do that seems like it could end up being really tedious to me to have to do that like every single time like line up enemies i don't know it, like that doesn't seem that interesting or fun to me it seems like it's kind of this, this chore you'd have to do i mean i have to kind of play it to see how it actually feels but just kind of thinking about and imagining how this would work I'm not sure I'm not interested in it. Yeah, um, I have to agree. It looks like, once again, you don't gain experience through battles. So it's not really an RPG. In the other games, the more recent games, you gain like you, money, and money you use to spend. In the, in, the, in, the, in the other games, in Color Splash and Sticker Star, you used money to buy cards or stickers to basically do attacks in battle. So that's your resource you're basically managing. I'm not exactly sure what your resource you're managing in origami king will be it the trailer shows some equipment you have like you have various types of hammers and various types of boots and it they mentioned something like they have to be replaced like because they are they are durable and that's kind of i don't mind like item durability as a general concept i know some people absolutely detest it always no matter what no matter where it is but i'm not sure i'm interested in seeing it in a paper mario game i it's one of those things like I kind of had to see how it's implemented rather than how a trailer is showing it to me, but I'm not set on it. <laughs> my, um, my biggest takeaway say... from this trailer was that uh, they're really going ham on this paper craft aspect, like not only the origami, but the boss fights where it's literally like you are fighting a tape dispenser, like modeled like a real world tape dispenser, not artsy or colorful or like inverse or like a pack of colored pencils. Which is weird because the fir- the earliest, like the first three Paper Mario games, they had a few, um, like you could fold up into a paper airplane or roll up into like a tube and roll under like a doorway. But that's kind of as far as they went. But then starting with Sticker Star, they really like started to lean into that. And like they they're just keep going further with that. So there's been a few, not as many as like the PS4 stuff, but memes about like, Oh no, this tape dispenser's on my desk. It's the boss fight of the Paper Mario game. It's just, it's kind of almost goofy, like to its detriment almost. Like, I don't know if I can take this game seriously. Maybe I'm being too, like, uptight about it, but. I mean, you're definitely, you're definitely right that they're just kind of double downing on the 
paper element of it when that was never really the thing. It was, it was kind of like an interesting aesthetic art style choice initially to have like your characters be like 2D characters in a 3D world. So they called it paper. Because, you know, Mario, like well, Mario side scroller is a 2D Mario, but they kind of just took that and put him in a 3D world without making like a like a Super Mario RPG Mario. But like the paper stuff was kind of like this dressing rather than like the entire thing. Um, I will say that in this trailer, I, I will say in this trailer, like these games have like some impressively good like cinematics kind of really focusing on the paper elements again. But like in terms of like all the things that are going on, like in a cut scene on the screen, like it showed things like there's like some airship in the sky being attacked by some paper fighter pilot or something. And then like it showed like Mario flying around with Bowser Jr. around some castle with a bunch of streamers or something. And like some of these like cinematic camera, like active motion camera type deals, like a lot of things going on in the screen are actually somewhat impressive. And I kind of wish we saw some more of that in a game like like the Thousand Year Door, the original Paper Mario, which aren't really cinematic at all. It's more just cutscenes, or not cutscenes. It's more just dialogue boxes and characters talking, which is fine. But it's just there. There's definitely like an an added cinematic emphasis to these more recent games with that paper aesthetic kind of going all ham. So yeah, I'm not surprisingly good on production values. Right. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm I'm interested in the game just as a curiosity. Like I kind of want. I'm not really excited for the game. I'm just curious about it. Like, what the hell is this? So that's kind of where I am. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, it depends on what's com- competing for my time in July. I know a lot of people are going to be looking at, like, Ghost of Tsushima or maybe still playing through Last of Us or other things. But I'm not really interested in those. So I don't think I have anything else, like, quote-unquote, like, on my schedule. Like, I can I can pencil in a Paper Mario game. I think that's kind of where I'm at. A pencil? month out. Paper? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was, that was totally intentional. Expect them to use that in the next one. Yeah, but... Uh, I hate to sound like like I'm clinging to the past, but I really do wish that this had more of that RPG DNA. But I'm trying to be open-minded and be like, okay, what they did show was moderately neat in a few ways. So I'll try it. If you're looking for an RPG in the same style, play Bug Fables. Don't be disappointed. And then the last grouping of topics in this busy week came over the weekend and i might not be great at keeping these straight because we had some games show up in the ign uh like three-day stream some show up in the pc gaming show some showed up in the gorilla collective stream and a lot of, a lot of games kind of like cross-pollinated and showed up in multiple places so these there was a lot of kind of like smaller scale indie boutique rpgs that showed up in these um with the kind of the exception of Persona 4 Golden, which showed up kind of as like the centerpiece of the PC gaming show for our site anyways. But I think I might kind of just glean over that because we already did really kind of talk about Persona 4 Golden. Uh, the next one that was kind of of interest to, to a lot of people on site was a uh, release announcement for 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, which is the Vanillaware game coming out on September 8th for PlayStation 4. Uh, so I know a lot of people on site, like Josh Torres have really been excited about this game. And a lot of like developers such as like Sakurai, the director of Smash Bros have really like 
talk this game up in terms of its Japanese release as like kind of a must play. And so I know a lot of people have really. Yoko Taro said, "Japan needs Vanillaware to survive," which is pretty strong wording. So I I haven't really been like super amped about this game, but I have played Dragon's Crown. I have played Muramasa. So on that front, like I am interested in this and maybe I'm not looking in the right place, but I, I thought this showing was kind of lackluster. It So this trailer basically shows artwork of the 13 protagonists. Each of them is named and then like a short dialogue scene involving each. And that's kind of it. Like it almost felt like it kind of droned on a bit and it didn't really like excite me. Um, um, I will say it makes sense because unlike um, Vanillaware's other titles, 13 Sentinels is very much a visual novel. So it does have tower defense, like RTS sections, but the bulk of the game is the story and the visual novel-esque like, dialogue and whatnot. It's a really good visual novel from everything I've heard. Like I've gotten super close to just importing it myself, but I was waiting until like, okay, is it coming out this year? Oh yeah, finally. And it's like, now it's in September and it's like, okay, I can just wait. <laughs> but yeah, everyone I know that's personally played it says that it's one of the best games that they played last year or what they come out last year. Or was it early this year? God. Uh, it was Japan last November. Yeah one of the best games that they played last year. So I'm super excited. Um, one caveat that I should mention is that this game is planned to eventually have an English voiceover, but that won't come in at launch due to largely Corona COVID-19 concerns. But the trailer did say that English voices will be added as a free download of like a free edition eventually, no date given, but uh, for people who are, you know, who, want to play this with an english dub it is coming but we just don't know when um so at release it'll be japanese voiceover with english subs so i'll probably give this game a skip just because it's not the sort of game i'm interested in but i am interested in seeing your thoughts and hopefully josh's thoughts especially since you do have kind of that knowledge of what makes a good visual novel and what makes for an average one and this one seems to have such good word of mouth around it so I'm basically, I'm, I'm eager to experience this game vicariously through you guys. So don't let me down. Yep. Also at the PC gaming show was, uh, we saw another new look at the Japanese inspired RPG, Chris Tales, which first debuted at the PC gaming show at E3 last year. So this was kind of like, I wrote a preview piece for this about a year ago today, actually, um, when it showed up at the uh, gaming show at E3 last year. And it's it's a very distinct art style, uh, almost, it's almost kind of like a Chrono Trigger inspired game from, made from a Colombian studio. And they've been doing, uh, they've been kind of like re-ramping up uh, press and media releases for this game because they announced that it is coming out November 17th for pretty much every console under the sun. Uh, PlayStation 4, Xbox, Switch, PC, even Stadia, and then even, even uh, next-gen versions announced. So this game is... Um, I don't know. It's It's got a very unique art style. It's got some really cool, distinctive, uh, you know, character acting and uh, animations. And they gave us a preview of what the opening cinematic will look like. 
Um, I think they're in the process of doing some like gameplay previews for this, but they they showed off some uh, a new trailer for it. I think a couple months ago. I'm gonna confirm that before I'm talking about my ass. Yeah, they, they showed some gameplay of one of the cities, Saint Clarity, in the game, and basically right, so... combat some of the game's quest and puzzle design. How the game, the game, the game's main gimmick is that outside of combat and also in combat is that there are three different time periods that you kind of work with simultaneously, the present, the past, the future. They're not like specifically dated how far in the past and how far in the future, just kind of in general. And that, that comes into play in battle. Um, for example, there's stuff you can do, like if you poison an enemy in the past and then change the enemy's position so that they're in the future, that all, all that poison damage accumulates like instantly cool. sort of thing. Um, but then also in like side quests, there are things like, this is just a simple example that one of the videos showed was like, I need to get a blueprint, but the blueprint doesn't no longer exist. So you basically have to find where it is in the past to get it back to the present sort of thing. So there's stuff like that. It's kind of the main hook to the game. And there is a demo on Steam, which I did play. Uh, I think I originally came out on Steam a while ago, but they did uh, update it. So now it's got a few new features to it. So that was kind of cool that they had a demo. And then with the announcement of the release date, they updated the demo, give a reason for people to go back to it. And like one of the boss fights in the demo, this is, it's this uh, character that has like a really big shield that prevents him from taking damage. So you go back into the past and do like a water-based attack on him. And it doesn't do a lot of damage, but then you go to the present or the future and the shield's like all rusted and now their defense is way lower. That's so, it. Yeah. Uh, it, this game also has some pretty cool voice talent. Like the main character, Chris Bell, is voiced by Kira Buckland, who is the voice of like 2B in Nier Automata. Though I will say it's not always good. Like the I remember when I was playing the demo, the voice actors for that uh, shield boss, it's like this two-headed uh, female character, each with like two different personalities. Kind of like the cartoon, like two dragon heads arguing with each other on on, on the shoulders or whatever. But uh, their voices weren't that great, so it's 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 an indie game. So I'm not like judging them too harshly for not having you know a list talent down you know down the line. But I think it really is kind of like one of those. It's a sort of indie game that I love to support, where they're like it's almost kind of like Bug Fables. Sorry to be like so. Uh, What's Bug Fables? <laughs> <laughs> but basically they 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 saw games that they were really inspired by in this case it's, it's pretty clear that it's like chrono trigger and persona and they said we want to make one of these so they just you know they just did it they decided we're going to do this and then it's obviously gotten a fair bit of attention due to like its distinctive look so i'm interested in trying it uh i think when i talked to them last year they said it's not meant to be like this real you know huge bugbear of a game they think someone can beat it in like 20 25 hours which i think is like fine that's that's as long as chrono trigger is uh it'll be really interesting to see how creative they get with that time travel mechanic because it's one of those things where it's got a really high potential we just got to see if they execute on it so coming out november 17th and i'm excited for this one it looks really cool um again this is chris tales so we got a new look at that at the pc gaming show i also have listed here that story of seasons friends of mineral town I haven't been following this game. <laughs> There's been a lot of news over the last couple uh, uh, days. This Adam, what did they announce? Was this the specific? Was this specifically the, the PC, uh, PC version here? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't know it was coming to PC until this weekend. Gotcha. 
Is that kind of what it is? Is that this is coming out? This is a remake of the GBA game. That not only basically, it's just you don't you don't see this very often. But like we knew that Story of Seasons: Friends of Mineral Town was coming out for Switch on July fourteenth in North America, and then they just sort of announced, oh yeah, by the way, it's coming to PC two on the same date. Not even like not even like later down the line. It's just yeah, same date PC PC as well. There it is. Oddly enough, that PC announcement was not leaked, unlike some other PC announcements. Yeah. Is this the first from this series coming to PC? Yes. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, though, that it would come over, considering that like Stardew Valley was originally just a PC game, and that's sold gangbusters. Like, I think last I heard, that game had sold over 10 million copies across all platforms, which is just insane. So. Yeah. We mentioned time. before we mentioned before that every time we like post something about story of seasons and root factory. First of all, first of all, pull back a little bit. These sort of farming simulation games are oftentimes sort of lumped in as like RPGs. These well, simulation in general is kind of like kind of like a sister genre to RPG. Um, but like whenever we post something about story of seasons. Like the response we get is really good in terms of like a lot of people are excited for it. They like the art style, they like the farming, they like the dating, um, and so people are excited for this. It looks like, especially now that you can play it on PC as well as Switch. Yeah, I wonder if this means we'll eventually get Rune Factory Four on PC because it would be nice to see maybe Rune Factory Five be day and date on Switch and PC. Yeah, same same publisher, so it's possible. That's Exceed, of course, Xseed slash Marvelous, which is the same thing. And then this might sound really like shallow, but putting that sort of game on PC is like one step closer to getting me to try it. For some reason, if it's on Switch, even though I have a Switch, I'm like, oh, I'm not interested in that tile game. I won't I won't get it. If it's on PC, it's like, you know what? Why, why don't I just try it? Just tab over to it. Just I don't know. There's really no real barrier of entry there, but for whatever reason, if it's on PC, I'm just like, you know what? That means it'll always be there if I buy it here. There's no like console generations to worry about. Maybe I'll actually, you know, dabble in this. I'm not committing to it, but it's kind of the first step in getting me to try one because I've never played like a Harvest Moon or Rune Factory or Stardew. So the other announcements, there's a whole bunch more we can talk about, mostly indies or some small things from uh, other games that aren't indies. I don't know if I'm just going to like, I'll just start rattling these off to see like where the natural stopping points are. Um, we got a tiny new kind of teaser for Vampire of the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, which basically said, shows that Damsel, one of the, is the group called the Anarchists? Is, is that what they're called? Uh, yep. And she is basically making a return with the same voice actress. Uh, we got, you know, an announcement that Baldur's Gate 3, which we knew was coming to early access, will come in August with a very deliberately placed maybe. They're not committing to it. <laughs> yeah. In the trailer, it says August 2020, maybe. So we knew that was coming, but and we kind of could have probably have guessed August, but they're saying, yep, we're planning on August. But again, planning on August for the early access of Baldur's Gate 3. Another early access game, which is available now, is Torchlight 3, which originally was Torchlight Frontiers. Uh, so this is on this is available for $29.99 on Steam. But apparently, I, I was poking it's through the store page. 
Yeah, it's getting kind of, or at least it was, it's getting kind of review bombed because the game will eventually be playable single player or multiplayer. But for the early access, it doesn't have single player mode. It's online only. Well, I, I guess you could play online only by yourself, but like it requires an internet connection. And apparently to exacerbate that, the, the servers aren't behaving super well. So it's kind of been kind of dogpiled on. Uh, hopefully, like I don't have much affinity to Torchlight. I've never played, but you know, obviously I hope just that the that the server issues are sorted out so that the, uh, cause they do talk about how the early access will be updated as they develop the game and people who are into it will, will see the quality of life updates and the new act that's added. So no release date in terms of past early access. It's just kind of like, it'll be done when it's done, but Torchlight 3 is available now there. We got a new look at Haven, which is the kind of, uh, jrpg adventure game from the game bakers which we've kind of highlighted on our channel on our twitter page before has a really cool art style and uh kind of story premise about it like a young couple um i don't know if adam's got any comments about what was specifically was shown haven's actually shown up in like each stream this weekend i guess they really want to promote it um i think on the i might get this wrong because you know they kind of all blend together but i think on the ign stream they showed uh they replayed a trailer from last year which kind of gives a good vertical slice, like here's some exploration, here's some of the dialogue scene between the two characters, and here's some combat. Then on like, uh, I think the PC Gamers stream, they showed just like a short trailer with like a little bit more combat. The um, On the Guerrilla Collective stream, uh, day two, I believe, they actually showed like a longer couple of minutes segment where it was sort of like a quest where the characters were going out to seek some sort of mechanical device and like apparently the female character whose name I forget, it's U and K, I just forget which one is which, is like a mechanic. And they're they're seeking out this device on this planet to basically make their lives better because they're kind of they're living kind of like from what they can find. And so it's just like they're out in the world exploring. There's this rust stuff that they have to clean up, and that's sort of like this exploration mechanic. Showed some combat with some of the enemies on this on this uh world that they're on, and then this sort of like they got to their point and found the sort of quest item they were looking for. Then there were some more dialogue scenes after that. Um, this is the developer behind Fury, for example, um, is the Game Bakers. I haven't played Fury, but from what I can tell, this game is completely different. They, 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 there's yeah. not like a spiritual follow-up. They, they decided to kind of just shift gears entirely and like, let's try something completely different. But it's got a cool art style premise, like you said. Um, it's coming out later this year. I forget the platforms. I think it's supposed to be pc now other platforms later but yeah we're still haven't gotten anything like a date or anything so let me look this up here yeah it's coming to pc ps4 xbox one and twitch so yeah the main everything for this current gen stadia is crying in a corner <laughs> so what else do we have we have trailers for um Alaloth, champion of the four kingdoms which is kind of an indie crpg I think it looks interesting, but the trailer they showed was literally like 30 seconds of footage. Nothing new in it. They showed Mortal Shell, which is like an action RPG, uh, kind of in the the Souls-esque line of games. I think it doesn't look very good at all. Um, yeah, I didn't I see know. much of that. Like, it didn't look... Like, people seemed like kind of excited about it on Twitter, but I was like... I mean, I don't want to judge it fully right now, but there was there was nothing there that really like intrigued me. 
I guess maybe especially after the Demon Souls announcement, it was like, oh, all right, there's the next Souls game I want to play. So maybe that's not fair, but that's how I felt. Um, we got we got new trailer looking at Godfall. I don't know if anyone's really excited. I about like the look of Godfall. There. I got, oh, I got to be honest. Yeah, like I, I saw people again saying like that looks meh, but I, I don't know. It just kind of vibed with me. I, I like melee focused games, and I'd be willing to definitely give it a try. We also got this is what stood out the most to me. Uh, Fey Tactics, the girl that destroyed the world, the girl who destroyed the world, which is kind of a, uh, a monster-based tactical RPG. It looks pretty much like Final Fantasy Tactics, maybe more like a Tactics Advance, which I feel like there's a lot of games in that vein nowadays. Sort of to there's something about this one with it specifically its art style that really stands out to me. I'm like, I you know I want to try this. Um, it's coming out this spring sometime, so it should be relatively soon. But uh, or we have listed as spring, but I guess they just in the show they just. Said, I, like, I think I think it was spring, and our database hasn't been updated. They just haven't. They they silently delayed it. <laughs> it was originally planned for spring. This game quarter has like what's why it sticks out to me is it kind of has like this what I call like a bubble gum or cotton candy sort of color scheme. There's a lot of blues and pinks and purples in the color scheme. So. Yeah, to me, it just it looks like like we were talking about. Um, fell seal because it's getting an expansion next week as that final fantasy tactics type game but like the caveat is that it doesn't look very nice looks kind of ugly well this game has doesn't have that problem i think this game looks really kind of neat and colorful and artsy so uh i'm interested in this one so it's an indie tactics game again that's fey tactics the girl who destroyed the world kind of a monster based uh fft like we also got um Star Renegades, turn-based roguelike. Raw Fury, turn-based mech RPG. There's just so much here that I, I don't know how much in the weeds we want to get on any individual. Well, there's RPGs. one game that kind of stuck out to me. One game that stuck out to me that wasn't really billed as an RPG, but when I looked at like the trailer and the Steam page for it, it pretty much is one. Is a game called Gestalt Steam and Cinder. Um, it's a debut game from a studio called uh, Metamorphosis games and it it features like a woman she's kind of she's kind of like in like a van helsing sort of attire with like the giant brimmed hat um and she's got like a sword and a gun that she uses it's this 2d side scroller sort of like pixel game but it looks really neat to me and it's got like stats and abilities and level like your character gains levels apparently has side quests and dialogue choices that affect you know storyline sort of focus so, like, just from the trailer, I'm interested. I mean, I don't know how much potential the game has there, like, overall. But, like, I think it has a cool premise and aesthetic, at least. So, yeah, that's one that just, picking one, stood out to me. And again, for people that missed it, that's Gestalt, Steam, and Cinder. I think you put up a, a nice, cool-looking GIF for it uh, on our Twitter page. So, maybe we'll retweet that. In fact, I'll do that right now. GIF. Uh, don't judge me. Just you can edit this. Just edit it, and you said "gift" the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna edit this. It'll stand. I'm not ashamed. One game that's the opposite, where I think the premise sounds interesting, but the art style I don't gel with, is um, an action RPG called Almighty Kill Your Gods. It's like this weird, oh, yeah. like 
it's it's kind of got that this is going to sound like I'm judging it harder than I intend, but it's almost kind of got like what a, what a high schooler thinks is edgy. Like it shows someone like holding on like a beating heart above their head as they ripped it out of a giant monster walking down. Like, okay, that's edgy. Um, it's like a cooperative RPG where you play as like these armored horned, like God killers. Uh, and it's, it's got like a, uh, it's, it's almost got a gameplay that reminds me of Anthem, like flying around from a third person perspective, uh, against kind of giant titanic creatures while blasting like energy beams at them and it's also got like a built-in component where these monsters will like attack your home they don't call it home base what do they call it home island so it's kind of got like this crafting component to it which i know some people are immediately going to be turned off by but to me i think the premise sounds really neat i just don't like how the game looks it's kind of got that over-the-top grunginess to it but maybe for some people think it looks really neat. It's kind of got that comic book style aesthetic as well. So depending on what you see out of that. There's a whole bunch more that we haven't talked about yet. There's an action RPG called The Seven Acolytes, which is kind of looks like a um, pixel art Bloodborne, sort of. And Adam actually commented on this in our staff page, how they're really kind of hammering down what the aesthetic is. Like in a PR, they're like, they call it a horror punk action RPG filled with Lovecraftian horror and Cronenbergian gore. Like, okay, you've made your Jesus. point. Like, what this game is. But basically, it looks what like What genre do you think it Bloodborne. is? <laughs> yeah. Is this a horror game? But it looks <laughs> neat. Um, I guess if you if you want more Bloodborne, but you've already played Bloodborne to death, and you don't, and you like the, uh, kind of the pixel art, top-down sort of action game, that's what, again, this is called Morbid the Seven Acolytes. I think we're finally nearing the end of the list here from this uh, kind of rattling off of titles. Uh, we've got this CRPG isometric game called Weird West. To me, this doesn't look interesting. Josh at is all. actually interested in this one. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's it's like a CRPG fantasy game, but it's like if if the Wild West was really weird, like that's I guess the name of the game, literally. <laughs> it's, the game is like, called Weird West. So uh, what it is like. From what I understand, from what they like, the dev interview said is like you have five different characters that are like playing a part in this world, but they're kind of off doing their own thing. You can party them up if if you want to, but you don't have to. And like the game is structured in a way where like your character, one of them, can die, but the game doesn't end. Just that character is just now dead, and you play as one of the other characters, <laughs> sort of thing. So uh-huh. kind of has this weird like multi-threaded story CRPG thing. Only instead of just having like your main party kind of all going around doing the same thing all at once. Like most CRPGs, you kind of have like five characters. You can kind of just doing different things if you want them to sort of structure. So that's potentially interesting. For me, if I wanted to play a game, it's not the same aesthetic, but a similar one. If I wanted to play, like for me, I'm just like, I'm, I'm waiting for Wasteland 3, I guess. And you can only play so much of, of a certain genre, I guess. And I know that's on its way and it's coming. So I'm not like, I'm not like champing at the bit to try something else, but the premise at least does seem a bit interesting. So there it is. Is there anything I've missed? There has been a lot. <laughs> yeah. I at least want to give these titles a shout out, at least mention them. 
Yeah, no. Oh, here, it, brutal, it, brutal pixel, brutal pixel art RPG. No place for bravery. I actually haven't seen this one. Uh, Adam, you wrote the news post for this. Any short comments? So this one has sort of a depressing premise. It's like you are a father who apparently had a bad relationship with his daughter, and his daughter has disappeared, and he basically kind of. This was sort of like a catalyst, I guess, get to have to find her, even though he doesn't have a good relationship with his daughter. And throughout this, he also has a disabled foster son who he brings with him. And I guess like this main character isn't meant to be like a hero, hence the name No Place for Bravery. Um, and he's kind of just like reconciling like his faults. So it's like I said, it's not a very happy game, it feels like. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of got an interesting moody theme and it's got that pixel art kind of like that sword and sorcery game so kind of like very low tech pixel art it's more 8-bit and 16-bit i know those are kind of just heuristics but yeah i'm just going to read some of the press release here is the story of bravery the game carries a strong message in the role of parental figures and the consequences of their choices in a troubled world this message is informed by the developer's personal life experiences and aims to impart these real feelings with competence and depth. So it's, yeah, not a, and another thing, I guess, about the game itself. Thorn is a retired warrior plagued by nightmare and stumbles on an opportunity for redemption. So yeah, it's that sort of, that's, I think you got the gist of what it is. In- interesting premise though, I've got to say. Hearing that makes me sort of. One last game that I found poking through our, our news posts, Deluge of the, of the day. Um, Eldest Souls, which is a another top-down Souls-like, specifically focused on boss battling. Uh, we got a new trailer for that, which is coming to uh, PC and Switch later this year. So, announced at E3 last year. I just kind of feel like that's a crowded genre. Ever since we saw like Hyperlight Drifter, or um, there's another indie game that I played that was Dark Souls-like. Uh, late last year called um, God, I can't, I can't even remember what it was called. There's a lot of like Souls-like pixel games. Game. So it, they kind of blend together, sadly. Uh, I know you, I, I know what the game you're talking about is. I just can't remember the title. Actually, actually I, think, I think I can think of two different games. There's a lot. So it's unfortunately crowded. Yeah, the premise I was getting at is that yeah, it's just such, it's such a crowded space that was it say Death Gambit? Was that it? No. Okay, I will keep this in. This futility of remembering all the games that we reviewed. Dark Devotion. That's it. I love that they all sound the same as well. Yeah, yeah Elder Souls, Death Gambit, Dark Devotion. Yeah, Death Mortal Spirit. Shell. That's not a that's not a pixel one, but still. <laughs> so yeah, so the, excuse me for having misplaced that title in my in my stupid brain, but there's just so many of these that heart, finding the ones that really stand out is just difficult. You want to give them a fair shake, but you can't just you can't go into all of them without kind of feeling a little bit uh you know worn out. Out of what we saw at all those indie games. I guess to try to put a bow on this section, which one do you think is you're most interested in? For me, it would be that Fate Tactics bubblegum FFT like. I already said that Gestalt game. Uh, 
at least the premise and the aesthetic, or not the premise, I don't even know what the premise is, but the aesthetic and the gameplay style are interesting to me. It's, they they announced a cyanide and happiness. I don't I don't know if you guys know what that is, like, but they announced a game for that. I know what it is. is that RPG esque adventure game? I I know there's a game that they've been showing. I actually don't know what type of game it is. Because and I guess I know what cyanide and happiness is. Because if that is adventure slash RPG, I'm already on board. I think it is. Like I have to. We'll have to check that another time, but well, even if it isn't, that's the one you're most excited for out of that, out of what you've seen out of these smaller kind of titles over the oh, last yeah. couple of days. Cool. I don't know, James, if well, you had if anything if that you saw that you really like. You can just say Persona. Persona, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, if we if we're talking about the PS5 event as well, then. Little little devil inside looks really really. That's I've seen a lot of. I've seen a lot of people sort of like ironically or maybe unironically or maybe so ironically it becomes unironic, looking for that like it's that game with like that Australian walrus. (laughs) I don't know what that is. Bug snack. Yeah, that one. Like people like looking forward to that game. Oh, that's yeah. sure. that weird. Like, was that the PS5 stream? Yeah, no. that was odd. I was describe it. There's like bugs and like an Australian walrus. <laughs> it was a walrus, or looked something like a walrus. It was very. If, if we're talking weird. about games from the PS5 thing, I definitely would have to say that I'm most excited for either Horizon or the Demon Souls remake. Though the Ratchet and Clank game looks pretty good too. Yeah, go Ratchet. So now that we've rattled through a whole bunch of announcements from a whole bunch of studios at a whole bunch of different scales of game, are there any like closing thoughts? How, how do we feel about this not E3, E3? It feels weird. Like I saw on Thursday, like people making tweets about like today was the last day of E3. And it's like, gosh, this is like the first quote unquote year. Well, the first year that I haven't gone to E3 since I started going, and it's just so weird. I've never been, but I would have liked to, uh, obviously. But I feel like this has been a pretty good substitute, almost. Like It feels like this is just a start as well. Like I kind of yeah. like having more to look forward to, rather than having four amazing, well, three amazing days of news, and then it quieting down. I kind of like that maybe next week we'll see what Warner Brothers have, and then maybe in a couple of weeks is Xbox, you know? That's, that's exciting. Right, that's kind of where I was going to get at, is that so far, and I don't mean this to, like, poo-poo on indie games, and I really don't, because play Bug Fables, but uh, I do feel like it's missing at the top end a bit, which will be corrected as soon as we see Microsoft showing, hopefully, and then whatever Nintendo is holding back on, obviously. Yeah, so. Nintendo, like, they kind of just revealed Paper Mario... And I guess obviously Xenoblade wasn't that long ago, but like Paper Mario's are focused now. But still, most of Nintendo's future, like in terms of games, like the rest of this year is kind of an unknown. Like we know there's Breath of the Wild 2 at some point. And then there's games like Bayonetta 3 and Metro Prime 4 that are kind of just all we know is like a logo. <laughs> but otherwise, we don't know. Yeah. I do. I feel like the next big event for us has definitely got to be the New Game Plus Expo, which is on the 23rd, I think. 
Yeah, so I'm actually looking at a schedule now, looking forward like the next week or two, there's still some IGN Expo stuff next week, which will probably be, you know, more indie scale stuff, which, you know, indie games are cool. Like, Do we have any, like, um, do you have any breakdown for the IGN thing? Because I know that IGN has some announcements eventually coming up for Bandai Namco, so I'm wondering if we'll finally oh, get yes, some more the, information. The That's IGN Expo the... 4 has, um has a scarlet nexus will show up there which is an rpg supposedly is what they call it um there is also ea has a thing going on next week but ea doesn't unless it's like dragon age out of nowhere it's probably not going to be related to uh, relevant to our website too much but yeah then the new game plus expo is uh tuesday june 23rd so a few weeks away yet but that's got atlas and idea factory and nice america and is america so like that that grouping of companies might have something to show that probably will interest our fan base or our reader base. Yeah. It's interesting with NIS America is that they announced the sky of four complete plus before even Japan side did. So there's a distinct possibility. We might get some announcements for stuff that even like NISJ hasn't said anything about. Well, I think, I think that uh, it's not really an RPG, but that printing game was the same way. Like they announced that not, NIS Japan, they, they do that, supposedly. They just announce ports or remasters of games like that on Switch or whatnot. So what do we have anything major to look at in the next seven days, or is it just IGN stuff? Um, IGN is on Monday, June 15th, so that's tomorrow. I mean, just that Scarlet Nexus might be the most flashy game they have tomorrow. There's the Steam Game Summer, the Steam Game Festival Summer Edition next week, but do do we really expect announcements from that, or that more like demos, demos yeah. and things? Yeah, that's really the main thing for next week. Oh, and and EA um, on Thursday. You know, EA's got big games, of course, just not a lot of RPGs other than Bioware. But obviously, you know, announcements aren't tethered only to these announce to these. I don't know platforms. Announcement platforms, I mean, stages, I guess is what I'm getting at. So who knows what we'll see as, you know, in between the gaps, like we kind of saw with Paper Mario this week. So, and then obviously, of course, uh, Last of Us 2 is, you know, right around the corner, not in our wheelhouse, but obviously lots of us will be playing that. I will be gushing. Well, hopefully gushing. (laughs) I will be, next week will be Last of Us podcast. Whether we like it or not, it's just going to be me not being able to show all right, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. All right, so thanks for listening to this deluge of news Sunday edition of the TetraCast. As always, you can find us on our website at rpgsite.net. We've got that cool uh, preview impressions piece from the Persona 4 Golden PC port, as well as a ton of guides for it, including the notorious Hardcore Reset fan. Adam wrote up a few tidbits on how to get that. We also have, obviously, all the news from Paper Mario to Horizon to Dark, not Dark Souls, Demon Souls, and all the other indie announcements all on our homepage. We've, we finally do have a link to our Discord channel from our homepage located at the top. It's, we've redesigned that a fair bit. You can find us on our YouTube channel at RPGSiteNet, on our Facebook at RPGSiteNet, and obviously we'll be here on this podcast seemingly every week. So until next time, take care. Bye, everyone.